I'm R.J. Bell. This is the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight is over. Final Four is yet to come and baseball has their opening day edition. Steve Fezzik in studio. We got a jam-packed show and we're going to be no nonsense. Talking NFL, talking some baseball even. We're going to start with some baseball. In fact, let's start there really quick, really fast, because some of you won't be listening on the first day, so you'll miss this. Tisk, tisk. You always have a chance of missing a winner. If you don't listen right away, subscribe. Just search RJ Bell. Dream Preview is another thing you can search probably. You'll come up on your favorite player. Subscribe, it's free. And if you have multiple players, subscribe multiple times. It helps us, actually, and it helps you. Baseball, we have a system we've tracked for years. We could hold this baby back, but we won't. It is the first game of the season. Bet the favorites that are big enough to be clear favorites, but not so big to be onerous. Because sometimes you get those jumbo favorites and they're just onerous. They're too much, too much square action on them. So what are the parameters of this? Minus 125 or above and not 200 and above. So minus 125 to minus 199 is the corridor. Any game, doesn't matter if the team, the favorite is home or away. And it's their first game. And it wins and it wins big. Now, why does it win? All right, why? We have a theory. We're not sure. Fez, how would you describe the theory? Motivated favorite. When you're like a minus 170 baseball favorite, you're the better team. You're supposed to win. You know what? Maybe stay out a little bit later the night before. Maybe not do quite as much prep work. Yeah, whatever the distraction is, whatever the lackadaisicalness is, favorites sometimes are lackadaisical. Yes. And thus, opening day, the theory goes and the numbers show they're not lackadaisical. It's a day everyone's been waiting for. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance around it. I kind of would have thought home teams would do better. But, Mackenzie, can we check this? I know we checked to say, hey, road teams still did well. Can we look at relatively how well they do versus home teams? Yeah, I'll throw the splits up in about 20 seconds. Yeah, take some time on that. All right, now here's the history on these. So this is from 2004 onward. And again, opening day or the opening game for a team. Now, this year, as everyone knows, all the teams open up early scheduled to on Thursday. And they've covered or they won the game outright 66% of the time. Now, you might say, hey, 66%, but these are favorites, right? Okay, fine. Up 39 units since 2004. So that's saying minus 200, minus blah, blah, blah. doesn't matter. It's going to within the corridor. And again, that's from 125 to 199. Since 2004, if you played all these games, you'd be up nearly 40 units plus 39. Now, this is 241 games. Opening day favorites from 125 up to 199. So less than 200. And 125 represents what? These are substantial favorites, meaning they're clearly the favorite. There's a little bit of arbitrariness I think that's the way to say it in there. But you could move it a little bit either way, 130, and you'd lose a few winners. But still, this makes sense. These are not gigantic favorites because why not gigantic favorites? Because gigantic favorites have a lot of froth in them. A lot of people are just going to bet them on parlays and stuff, multiple parlays, because they figure they can't lose. 
and thus it jacks up the price a little bit. So from minus 125 to minus 199, favorites when it's their first game of the season are up 46 units since 2004. Now, that record is 112 and 44. So that ends up being 156 games and 46 units. Fez, get the calculator out. 156 games, 46 units won. Our ROI is? 29.5%. Okay, now, let's think about this. I always hear about 10% ROI. So with minus 110, 10% ROI is what win percentage? So 52.4 plus 5, 57.4%. All right, so 57.4. So we get 10% from five percentage points. Yes. So another five percentage points, so 62.4, would get us to 20%. That's right. And another five, 67 point, uh, I guess, four, would get us to 30? That's right. So this is the equivalent, right, of 67%. Okay. Straight up. (laughs) And so if we said we had a 67% straight up record at minus 110, and we had 156 games in it. People wouldn't believe. I mean, that sounds like the old Saturday morning stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that, what's interesting is that's like two NFL contests, right? You get 85 picks in an NFL contest. So that's like two years of picking in a contest hitting 67%. And that is simply playing favorites from 125 to 199 when it's the first game of the season. And actually, the away teams have an ROI. Uh, now, this is interesting. So, yeah, I'm wondering if uh, this database uses a different calculation for ROI, because all the numbers are the same, the units and the games, but it's coming up slightly different. It's, it's because it it's depends whether you calculate the ROI on the amount, what you're trying to win, or the amount risked. So in, so, ba- in baseball, what typically is the way to do it? You could do it either way. But it seems like return on investment, what you're investing is what you bet. Yeah. So if you do it that way, you have to, you'd have to compute not just the hundred. So you've got oh, okay. 156 so, games times yeah. 1.65 for your average outlay. All right. So what we're saying is then the database is doing it on the risk, which I think is probably the better way. And what they're saying here is the away teams are 23% ROI. The home team's 18% ROI. So looking at it, it looks like about two-thirds of them are home teams. So it looks like ROI calculated from the lay is about 20%. Yes. Okay, so that would be about 62% winners on a, a minus 110. Yes. Okay, still mighty good. Still mighty good. Away is even better, which kind of surprises me. But either way, we had, these were the games on Thursday. And that includes the Mets, the Yankees, the Indians, or I guess are the games on Thursday. We're taping on Wednesday. The Red Sox, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. All right? Does that seem right? Yep, those are the ones in the corridor. Okay. So one, two, three, four, five. So there's only five of them or six of them? Let me see here. Six of them. All right, so I got five listed down below. Mets, Yankees, Indians, Royals, Rays. Which one are we missing? Red Sox also. Now, Fez, from what I saw, almost all of these moved up. So it almost feels like that for next season, putting in our pocket, 
we want to bet this early. Yes. I kind of said it this year, but somehow it didn't happen. Just guess we were focused too much on the NFL and the NFC East. You've handicapped all those teams, right? You got a good feel for the East. Still doing my work. Still, yeah, yeah. Still doing the work. All right. One note on these six games. Uh, oh, yes. I think Kansas City is my favorite, and here's why, RJ. You've got a team that the sharp bettors have been betting on. The Royals' season win number has gone up from 73.5 to 75. And they're playing a Texas team whose season win number has dropped from 67.5 to 66.5. So the, the sharp guys betting throughout the season are bullish on Kansas City. They feel they're undervalued, and they're bearish on Texas, and they're playing each other. But wouldn't that be built into the line? If anything, that's an interesting concept because under that theory, it means that whatever the betting action was, it would probably have an inordinate amount of opinion on the teams for the season, which means there's less of a factor of this phenomenon that we're trying to isolate, right? So what you're yes. saying is there's almost like a second reason to bet this game. I just wonder, does it get in the way? Mm, I was thinking it, it, it was just an add-on, a yeah, nice little addition. Yeah. That's the question. But under that theory, just betting the teams that had an up arrow against the teams that had a down arrow when they faced each other early would have a winning record. Yeah. Do, and I'm not sure that's I'm, the case. I'm not sure that's the case. And I'm but, not sure I'd want yeah. to think that's the case. I mean, I'm mm. kind of almost thinking it'd be the opposite. People might overreact to their general macro opinion. Teams out of favor and yeah. it's reflected. In, they, they, yeah, like you've always said, is it reflected in the number? I don't know. What I'm thinking is, and this will be a good redemptive project for McKenzie, let's look at the teams that are renowned to be winners, all right? And maybe we can say, so who are the biggest winners in baseball? We'd have to say the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Red Sox, right? I mean, just consistent. Yeah. I'm not even talking about, like, who literally has won the most, but... They they, actually, as far as the database goes back, those are the three... Winners, Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox. Okay, good. So, so now what I would say is this, is let's, let's go back and eliminate the games in which the Dodgers, Yankees, or Red Sox played if they had a winning year last year. Because now, so maybe not a winning year, but maybe a over, you know, maybe let's think about this. So 82 and 82 would, is even, right? That's 100, or 81 and 81, right? right. So it's 162. Maybe we'll say 88 games or more they won last year. So anytime, so that means uh, seven games above 500. That's just a kind of a rant. No, let's just say above 500 to keep it kind of more logical. So anytime they have 82 or more wins, so above 500, mm -hmm. and it's the, the year before, so they're coming off a winning season, and it's one of the big three. That feels like that team might not be extra motivated. We're the Yankees. They're not as worried mm. about winning on a, but a team. Now, and I also would say, who are the teams whose win totals were higher than last year's results by maybe five or more games? So last year, if you won 81 games, but this year you're supposed to win 90. It seems like starting the year would be something that'd be really exciting. Right, right? because like, obviously you've got new additions and optimism. This is a good year. This is a good year. Yeah. And I'm not sure the opposite, because I think the opposite could be kind of motivating too. It's like, hey, they, people don't expect a lot of us, but we're supposed to. But I do. So that's interesting. That would be more involved, the whole kind of going back 
and 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 finding out what the prior year was. But let's test this first theory. So we got a game by game here, right, Mackenzie? Yeah. Yeah. So let's pull the game by game and let's see the times the Yankees and the Red Sox are there. Let's eliminate. So if anything, we can just do that. You can just do that search and just do it team specific, right? Um, sure, yep. And, so, and if you say game number one, that will actually work where you can do it all at once. And then all we got to do is take those games and then eliminate the games that they were or eliminate the games that the prior year was a winning year. Or from the list, if this is going to be a list that we're going to pull from the subset, then only find the times they weren't winning the year before to eliminate them from the pool Pool list. Yeah. Yeah. And that should take not too long. So maybe put your head down on that. I'm on it. All right. But either way, we're looking at a nearly 20% ROI on this system. And it's yours for free. RJ Bell is the founder of pregame.com, the official odds provider for the Associated Press. All right. That's true. All right. Next topic. Now, Fez, we're letting you produce this show. Imagine that. And this is going to be your rundown. We're just going your style. But you got a best bet coming up that I actually disagree with. That's going to be fun. I might bet against you on this one. And you also have an FCS one? Yes. And I do. Go ahead. I do have two real rapid fire baseball points. Oh, go ahead. So the playoff format is back to the traditional format. Last year, there were 16 teams. This year, only 10. Bottom line hurts the bigger underdogs because now there is— bigger underdogs to do what? To to win the World Series. Okay. Because the teams like the Dodgers, if they win the division, then they they have a mini buy, if you will, while the two wildcard teams, the four and the five, play each other to see— So you're saying not only is there less teams that even have a chance, the teams on the fringe— uh, it's it's more of a crapshoot. Yes. Okay. So if you are looking to play World Series type long shots, it's tougher this year. That's right. Makes sense. Second point, designated hitter. Last year, the National League had it. This year, they don't have it again. So the pitchers are going to bat. And because of that, uh, we've calculated that it's worth about half of a run to have the designated hitter. Okay. So do the totals line up with that? Unfortunately, they do. I looked at opening day, and the National League totals are a half run less than the American League on opening day here. But that isn't what the way to do it. God, that's goofy. The way to do it would be look at last year's National League totals and compare them to this year. This, At least this way, you've only got one small sample size on one side of it. Why would you have a small sample size? Because the Aces pitched the first, the first game, so the totals are low the, in, in game one. Okay, that's a good point. But boy, if we're only looking at a handful, I guess this is some, what we'd want to do, I guess, is look through the first, what, five games? Yes. And then compare it to last year. The theory is it'll be all the way through the rotation. Yes. No, that's a good point about the Aces. So five games in, see what the average total is in the National League. Then say in the National League last year, what was the average total? Because we want the same teams to be compared. And it should be about a half run less this year. Yes. If it's off from that, there may be an inefficiency in the market. That's right. Or we might say the half run is the mistake. Where did the half run come from? Half run came from in 2019, American League games were half a run higher scoring. In 2020, when both leagues had the designated hitter, both leagues scored 8.8 runs per game. Okay. All right. So half run is your estimate for the DH. 
Now, wouldn't we say that it, the estimate for the DH effect would be more significant early in the year? Oh. You got hitters that haven't or pitchers that haven't hit for two years. For yeah, whatever. that's a that's a great point. Right? So, so do we just think maybe we go under? Hmm. You know, all the National League for like the first, at least the first five games, because I let everyone bat one time. You know, and again, what's the jump from the first at bat to the second? It might be the whole first half season. I think that's really strong. Yeah. yeah. So take a gander at that. I think. Sure. So all pitchers right. suck that haven't hit in over a year. I think anyone would. Yes. And like we said, we're looking at almost twenty months or something, right? Yep. Okay. Anything else in baseball? That's it. Now. Two quick historical notes in baseball. And uh, one is the Dodgers came into this season with a win total of 103 and a half wins. That's the highest win total of any team in Major League Baseball since 1999. So this century, this Dodgers team is considered to be, at least entering the season, the most optimistic the bookmakers are about the number of wins expected. By the way, that 99 team was the Yankees. And they ended up winning 114 games the previous season they had. And thus, they were off that record. And that's how they got such a high total, 104 and a half. Now it's 103 and a half. And obviously, the Dodgers picked up Trevor Bauer, the Cy Young winner in the National League. Pirates on the other side of the coin, a win total of 58 and a half. Zero teams with 60 wins or less than 60 wins from 93 through 2012. So for 20 years, there was never anyone below 60. And now we've had three teams in the last nine years to have sub-60 wins. Pirates are one of them, tied with Baltimore in 2019 for the lowest recorded win total. The lowest recorded win total. I used to be a Pirate fan, but I'm a conscientious objector to being a fan of the Pirates at this point. Whew. Okay, World Series odds. We've got the Dodgers as a V favorite at plus 350. Yankees second favorite plus 550. Padres eight to one. Now, if you go back, and I think if you can pop that, McKenzie, I think it's 28 and 0. But up until the Dodgers last year, the Dodgers last year were a favorite coming in and they won. Prior to that, if you went from 2019 to 2010, or in reverse, 2010 to 2019, so not last year since 2010, there were 28 teams that were amongst the favorites to win the World Series, which is defined as 10 to 1 or better. Their odds were 10 to 1 or 9 to 1 or 8 to 1 or 7 to 1, better than 10 to 1. 28 teams, they were 0 for 28 winning the World Series. Another way of saying that is every year from 2010 to 2019, the winner of the World Series had bigger odds or bigger long shot than 10 to 1. They were 11 to 1 or bigger. None of the favorites won 0 for 28. Dodgers as one of the favorites won last year. We'll see. But you know, this is just remarkable. It is. I mean, think about how many in a row we have to win now. To get even, we're down. If we bet a hundred, we are you. Do you just consider yourself part of the favorites? <laughs> if we bet, a, like, like you, because you had a silver spoon growing up, you think of yourself as a favorite. Sure, is that how it is? Sure. That's so if we, if we had so bet a hundred, do you root for Goliath? 
Like when it's David versus Goliath, you're rooting for Goliath. It depends who I bet on. No, but in general, if you haven't bet on anyone, you're rooting for the, like, did you ever watch like the Molly Ringwald movies or any of the John Hughes, you know, John Hughes was the guy like Pretty in Pink or- St. Elmo's Far? It wasn't John Hughes, but, mm. but um, I don't know if that was John Hughes. That certainly was the Brat Pack. Mackenzie, check who the director of St. Elmo's Fire was and the producer. But that was like the more mature. They were in college at that point. Yeah. And, but it could, it was the same actors. But it would have been like Molly Ringwall. Like, uh, remember Ducky? And like you, like you were of the age that you should have watched this, but you didn't. No. Okay. So there'd often be like the idea of, it's like the, the girl from across the tracks likes the boy who seems to be with the rich kids and he is with the rich kids, but he has a, the soul of a poet kind of thing. So she falls for him and then he falls for her. And then he's seeing that the other side of the tracks ain't so bad. But then his friends say, she's from the wrong side of the tracks. Ooh, P-U. And he says, huh, I feel this. I'm being tugged one way, but... My history tells me to go this way. And that's the battle. Now, usually what they do... Okay, yeah. So it's not the same. It was uh, Schumacher, actually, who did a lot of movies. What movies did he do after Joel Schumacher? He, I think he did 8mm with Nicolas Cage, if I'm remembering. What other movies did he direct? But as he's getting that, they always made the rich guy who was the devil on the shoulder of the sensitive rich guy. Like the worst guy. He always had all the signs that he was just some evil. Like he'd wear sunglasses in, 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 indoors. Mm -hmm. He'd have like a members only jacket, you know? And those are the guys you rooted for. Like the guys that ominous music played when they walked in. You said, my hero. <laughs> yes. Did you love Alex P. Keaton? Oh, I did. And when he would like make fun of Mallory? No, oh, completely. He was right. Like you liked that he was ridiculing her, her limited intellect. It worked. It worked for whom? For not me. for her. For for me for the, as the not viewer. for the trauma. Not for the trauma. So so you, so you felt like all along, like how can I get revenge? Revenge has been a big thing in your life, then, right? Revenge on who? On the people that were make, ridiculing you. Chess team was not that popular. So revenge. Do you worry that you might be teaching Prince Johnny the wrong lesson? No. Are you teaching him to, to get revenge? No. But what, let's say he starts to feel put upon. Because when someone's nicknamed Prince Johnny, other people might object. I mean, it's possible. At that point, are you, are you going to teach him the lesson of revenge? No. Like say, revenge is a dish best served cold. It's up to him. <laughs> so you're going to direct him on everything, but not this. <laughs> what was the other Joel Schumacher movies, Mackenzie? He did do 8 millimeters, also Phantom of the Opera. Oh, not much. The number 23, Blood Creek, 12. That, how did I know that one movie? The, the one movie anyone's ever heard of. I always thought he was bigger than that. Phone Booth in 2002, I think oh, I Oh, that saw was that. pretty big. Yeah, that was with... Um, Colin Farrell. Yeah, and Pacino was in it, wasn't it? I thought. Let's see. Not sure. But either way, maybe not. All right. No, Forrest Whitaker and Colin Farrell. Oh, Forrest Whitaker. He was good in Taken 3, by the way. That's it. Taken 3 is underrated. 
So, you did root for the Goliath, is what we're saying. Sounds like it, yes. Because you wanted to be Goliath. <laughs> you were so far from Goliath, you wanted to... I kind of respect that, actually. Like, the, like, the, like, and Lucas, did you root for Charlie Sheen or Lucas? Well, Charlie Sheen was very likable in that movie. See, but he wasn't supposed to be. He mm. took Lucas's girlfriend. You realize <laughs> that he befriended Lucas because in that case, it was, it was kind of homoerotic where it was Charlie Sheen had the heart of a poet. Yeah. And he had the, the cheerleader girlfriend who wanted him just to be a plain old jock, a plain old uh, amongst the loved, or, you know, the beloved. But he said, no. Lucas, there's something there. There's something there with Lucas. But by happenstance, Lucas had a friend who he aspired for more. You can relate. Yes. And she didn't want more. She just wanted to be friends. But then when Charlie Sheen was sitting on the dryer with his shirt off and it was hunched down but still didn't have any belly fat, that was when she said, wait a minute, he's, there's more to him than I realize. He has the heart of a poet. <laughs> and... Poor Lucas was suicidal. I don't know if you know that. He, he almost killed himself over it. And you thought, Lucas, get out of the way. Charlie Sheen, that's his turf. <laughs> that's what you thought. <laughs> but somehow, you do realize you're much more like Lucas. Oh, yes. So the case can be made that is a sign of self-loathing. Like you're saying, I see myself in Lucas. I don't see any of myself in Charlie Sheen. But I like Charlie Sheen, and I don't like Lucas. That would be logical. Which is saying I don't like myself. I like the projection of myself. I'm trying to get the world to believe. This is all starting to come together. I'm RJ Bell straight out of Vegas. That is Steve Fezzik, a fan of Goliath, also known as the Tallahassee Kid. <laughs> we'll get to your love of Florida State. <laughs> all right. So does it... Um, Okay, but did those three teams, you said it removes a 12 and 8, but what's the net units? I'm not sure how to calculate that. Well, just there's, there's 20 games. Just get the net units in each game. If the favorite wins, yeah. it's plus 100. And if the dog wins, it's going to be minus one, you know, whatever the lay price is. So on a loss, it's minus the lay price. On a win, it's plus 100. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I bet it's going to be a net... I bet I just pulled out from that system, dude. It's going to be about break-even. Just I just got 20 junk games out of there is what I'm guessing. I bet it will be negative, actually. Because you got to figure those teams are laying more than... So 60% would be, what, 150? Yeah. They got to be laying more than 150. How do I do that? You're just watching it be the sausage being made. Yeah. What do you mean, yeah? It, it makes, it makes 20, sense. Oh, Take, well, why didn't you come up with it? Just slow. Brain ain't firing like he used to. Yeah, 58. How long would we... Have? You're not 58, are you? Yeah. I thought you were just 55. <laughs> no, it feels that way. I think you were lying before. All right, I'm turning 58. When? I'm 57, and not till November, so... Jesus Christ, why so, would you say you're 58? I don't know. Because I'm getting you, old, so I can't, I can't like, figure out how old I am. So you want people to like, start to feel sorry for you? Let me tell you, duct tape shoe guys are old guys. So... There's no sympathy. There's a great line in in Deadwood. I, I've been thinking of rewatching Deadwood, like as a like a almost like a midlife like recalibration of priorities. And did you you never watched Deadwood? No. Is Swearinger's one of the greatest characters in history? But it's one of the most no nonsense, unvarnished 
truth shows I've ever seen. It's the great show. In my, in my rankings, it goes Deadwood, Sopranos, The Wire, Mad Men. Now, I don't keep comedies in my ranking. That's a separate ranking. And that ranking would be, there's a top three and then everything else. Simpsons, which would I go number one just because of longevity. Now, this is going to be the surprise. I'm going to tell you three right now because this one you all relate to. Seinfeld's three. A lot of people say, oh, Seinfeld's all one. Three. Number two, Cheers. But the ones I care about are pre or, or with Diane. So the great, 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 great ones were with Coach. The years with Coach are as good as any sitcom's ever been. It's not even close, in my opinion. Well, but Simpsons aren't really a sitcom. Simpsons are almost of their own thing, and the longevity is so massively great. But if you haven't seen it, it's been a while now. I mean, the Cheers started like in 81. It's been a long freaking time ago. If you haven't seen the first years of Cheers... Or any, you know, because later it got to be campy. It got to be the same thing. Hey, Norm, you know, well, it's fine. But it was a really heartfelt show. Original or first years of Cheers. And that'd be my, that'd be my system. What, for you, Two and a Half Men? Is that the best? Or what, what do you got at the top? Oh, I go, I go way back. I go to Hill Street Blues. And you realize that's not a sitcom, right? Taxi. Yes, Taxi's mighty good. So is that because you haven't seen any sitcom since Taxi? None like, that what, I that what sitcoms with do you me. watch now? None. What's the last sitcom that you watched on a, on a weekly basis? I mean, it's pretty Shamil Shamal. I'm like living the Ver, in the '80s, man. The Vernon Shirley's the last one. I mean, Three's Company. I mean, I I stopped watching them after that. Like, not no like you didn't watch Cheers. I did watch Cheers. Yeah, I was not that big of a fan of it though. No, they were all underdogs. There was, I, I mean, in a way, they were. All, there was no Goliath there. You probably liked Rebecca Howe then. I didn't like Rebecca Howe. Really? Because you are a misogynist. So I would say, that's an interesting. Would you rather have a Goliath that's a woman? Or, and you're saying, no, the woman disqualifies. You don't, who's a woman character you've ever rooted for? I'm putting me on the spot here. No, just think like like if you would if like you had if Johnny said Mary Tyler Moore, you rooted for Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. So you liked her over Lou Grant. Yes. Do you remember Lou Grant? Of course. Yes. Now Mary Tyler Moore ended like in 1974. <laughs> so how old were you at that point? Eleven. So you remember Mary Tyler Moore? Yeah. Well, maybe you were watching it in repeats. Probably syndication. Probably. Okay, so what did we figure out, Mackenzie? Those three teams were at minus one and a half units, so if we exclude them from the group. Jesus plus- Christ, is it that easy? <laughs> RJ Bell, just take out the Ultra Public. Everybody knows they're good, so they're overpriced teams well, and make more money. It God damn it. It wasn't just that, but I also thought the one, the, I, I, I didn't think that they would be all that. I mean, if the theory is it's about motivation, if you win all the time, how do we know? Like, why would they be extra motivated? Yeah, we're going to make the playoffs win or lose. Real quick, because you got to get on out of here, RJ. <sighs> I just did that on the side. So now the system. Now today, what? who does that eliminate? 
So it takes out the Yankees? It doesn't eliminate the Red Sox coming off a bad year. Yeah, see, I think the, I like the Red Sox the best because they actually, the line moved against them too. All right, so what we know is you want to bet this early in, in future years and you want to exclude those big three. All right, and that was 20 games we got rid of. Yep. I love, I love winnowing, winnowing. All right, so we figured that out. We figured out the Fez loves the... Uh, the faceless, soulless person that comes in and crushes the dreams of the little people. <laughs> but unless that's a woman, and then he doesn't like her either. <laughs> but he liked Mary Tyler Moore when he was nine. So really, ever since you reached puberty, you haven't liked a woman. Like, that was a hero. Because that actually makes sense, because you didn't really feel rejected by women when you were nine, right? <laughs> They That's probably right. said, like, That's look right. at his hair. Look at his hair. I was fine till and then at like 14. Eight, yeah, four, yeah. And then it was like women bad. They're the enemy. <laughs> ah. Next topic. Let's let's get right into one of your best bats, because I'm gonna crossfire you on this one. I actually disagree with it. San Francisco 49ers, you've got to win the toughest division in football. And what payoff are they getting? Huh, let me think. Should it be four to one? No, they're probably, that's interesting. It'd be three to one if they were an average team, right? Because yeah. there's four teams, three to one. So we're saying they're better. So I'm saying plus 270, 260, because the Rams are better. And Seattle's probably better by a little bit. So the third best team got to be plus 260, and then maybe Arizona's plus 340 or something. So what price you getting? Two to one. And, that, and you're saying that's not enough. Oh, I'm sorry. You're saying that's too much. There's froth there. We continue. Well, it's interesting uh -huh. that you said that Seattle's better because we did finally have a book come out with season win numbers. Now, these are virgin numbers. They're going to move. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a Bet Rivers. San Francisco, 10.3. Rams 10.3. We're adjusting for VIG. And what do you mean adjusting for VIG? Is it 10.3? means under 10. 10.3 is, is less than 10.5. 10 yeah, I understand. Right. But what do you mean adjusting for VIG? It's 10.3. Right. It's 10.3. Okay, continue. Like, try not to say things that have no point. Seattle, 9.5. Following that part? Yes. Okay. So continue. Seattle significantly below 9.5, almost a game below both of those teams. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So, how many games did Seattle win last year? 12. And San Fran won how many? Six. Huh. This sounds like you thinking Green Bay's win total should have been eight. Oh, my goodness. That was, mean, was some of my worst but it, work. But this is the same thing. Like, we're just dreaming that San Fran, like, everything's going to come together. But they don't even have a freaking quarterback. Like, like is your estimate that they're going to have Jimmy G or not? Yes. Now, you do realize that most, like, if, if there was a bet, I, don't, I haven't seen any number on it, but certainly he'd be a favorite not to be on this team. Like, most people think he's gone. Really? That surprises me. Really? Mm -hmm. How often do they keep a legacy quarterback and then they draft a quarterback in the top five? That's unusual. So why would this one surprise you? Na if I guess naive me, everyone reading that that's... Uh, you mean, you mean? wait a minute, you're back to believing what they yeah, say? Yeah, we've been through that before. Like, why would they... I mean, they, if there's even a 10% chance they're going to keep him, they're going to say they're going to keep him. Then if they keep him, it's like, of course we were going to keep you, buddy. And if they leave, it's like, we don't got to deal with that guy. He's gone. Do you see that? Yes. Do you want to reevaluate? Or do you want to make it bad if he's there or not? 
Thinking no, I do not want to make a bet on that. Even money. You know what? And if I'm not willing to make that bet, I shouldn't yeah. be making the two-to-one bet. Well, should you? Well, you've already made that. Yeah. Let's, let's get that straight. We've got a crossfire on that one. But I'm booking you on it, even. And I got to give you credit. I took a look because I, a favorite of mine, this is the Green Bay 101, where yeah. I talk about love Pythagorean theorem. Love when a team has a record that is different and not reflective of just points scored for the year. And I said, you know, and you're like, boy, this, I don't know, Fez, if this is going to work. The market's aware of this, you know, going. Well, hold on a second. Um, Mackenzie just found something that backs you up here. So this says, where will Jimmy Garoppolo play for game one of the 2021 regular season? 49ers are minus 300. Where is this from? Bovada. Oh. Okay, so $20 limit. <laughs> Probably. New England plus 350. Minnesota plus 700. Denver plus 700. Houston. Well, I wonder what Vig... Now, this is interesting. And there's no... And, and there's no the field? field. I mean, this is just a total rip. I mean, you can't even calculate what the Vig is in this. No. There's no field bet. So what they're saying is... They're making you pay every which way is what they're saying. So I'm not, I mean, it's a great get on your part, but just for teaching moment, Mackenzie, do you see how this isn't indicative of anything? Because if you can't get the complete pack, the comprehensive possibilities, you can't even figure what the VIG is. Yeah, and each bet is betting into a pool that ignores, you know, 30% possibility. Well, that's the question is, what is the possibility that it's not 49ers, Denver, New England, Houston, Minnesota, Carolina? I mean, it's got, I mean, you know what's funny? That 30% sounds right to me. I mean, these are the favorites, I think. But why, why would they do anything but make San Fran a big number? Because they're not making anyone else all that good. Right. Wow. Yep. I guess whenever a book, and I got no dealings with Bravada in any way, pro or con, never have, but it does strike me Though I did do something with Bodog way back when, which was kind of the antecedent of it. But what surprises me is when a book starts to do things like this, in my experience, they're on the way out the door. Like they don't care about their brand anymore. So they just are money grabbing because one day they're just going to be shut down. Hmm. I don't know anything about their particular situation, but boy, this is a disregard. I mean, whatever they're gaining from this, they're just putting themselves on this, you know, out there is like saying we don't care about giving customers value at all. That's horrendous. But go ahead. So you asked me, take a look at this Pythagorean theorem. This looks like you theorized it may not work anymore, Fez, because the market is well aware when a team like Green Bay goes 13 and 3. So explain when you say, and I'm going to get a Mountain Dew, explain the Pythagorean theorem and just go into a little bit of background on this. Don't feel need to be too wordy and I'll be right back. Right. So what you basically do is you look at how many games did a team win? So an example, back in 2019, Houston went 10 and 6. But if you looked at just points scored for and against, Houston should have only gone 8-8. Eight and eight. So the conclusion, hey, Houston's overvalued. They won a lot of close games. I want to bet that team to go under. Well, it worked for Houston in 2019. Amazingly, the other six teams, if you would have just bet on the Pythagorean theorem being more indicative of how good a team would be. An example here would be, you'd look at Seattle. Seattle was 11 and five in 2019. They should have only gone eight and eight by points scored, points against. So you say, you know what? Seattle's overrated, let's go under. Well, that lost and so did Oakland. 
So did the LA Chargers. So did Dallas. Dallas is an example when eight and eight in 2019. They should have gone 10 and six by points for points against. And Dallas didn't even come close to going over. The bottom line is with the Pythagorean theorem is that the market seems to be well aware that when evaluating teams, the win-loss record is not what's significant, but rather how many points did indeed a team score for and against and what were the underlying statistics of a team. So the odds makers are well aware that win-loss record really is not significant when making these numbers. So just trying to find teams that over or underachieved on the win-loss record is not going to point you to victories going forward. At least it hasn't the last two years. In 2018, if you blindly bet the Pythagorean, you went one and three. And last year, you went one and six, including, as RJ mentioned, the ultra-ugly Fezzik Green Bay under eight and a half. <sighs> oh. I mean, they win 13 games. I mean, could, if they would have been six and a half, would you win under that too? It, it, and it really shows how directionally this all made sense when the market didn't adjust for this, but the market is adjusting for that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of wannabe sharps out there. And you think about it, that's who's batting a lot of these markets. It's not the squares of the squares, typically. They're not thinking win totals. And it's not the big syndicates because they can't get enough money down typically. I mean, they might get a piece here or there, but it's it's not they're not going to be a, an inordinate percentage of the overall handle. So the concept applies, though. What is the truth of a team? Right. That's really all of this is just shortcuts to find out what the truth of the team was last year, and then what's been the delta this year. Because if you don't, meaning the change. If you don't do that, you got to build up from the ground up. Meaning, you know, and this is something Mackenzie and I has been thinking about a project on. And let me ask you, we haven't discussed it. If I said, if, if the entire league got rearranged, so, so no one was on the same team, it was like the NBA All-Star game, just, just new teams. Mm. Or even use the All-Star game as an example. How do you grade how good the team is? Well, Meaning... If you were building from a power rating from the ground up and you didn't have last year, it's, it can only be player-based. And coach. Well, if you think the coach is moving the number fair, yeah. I don't think he's moving the number very often. But I agree. sticking to what matters here for a second, if we could, is meaning that when I say players-based, and you're right, coaches are part of that. I'm saying last year's results don't matter because the, the teams are nothing like last year. There's no team that resembles last year's team. Mm -hmm. How would you go about that? You'd go through each position by position. You'd have to evaluate how much each player was worth and come up with a numerical worth, so you're value. Worth over average or worth yes. over replacement? Which one? I don't think it would matter either way. Or the calculation would be different. Yeah, but I think you'd get to the net same result or close to it. So how would you rate how good a player was? I'm talking about you. How would you do it? Well, I'd go into, you know, the there are guys who are experts at evaluating. You could example pro football focus with their, you know. Um, right, so there's different player rating mm -hmm. systems. Now, how much would you weigh each position? Like, obviously, quarterback's more important. Yeah, I, I, I would think that I would... This is, this is a great question because I think I would take a look at the composite average of the three linebackers, for instance. And I guess I haven't thought about that. What happens if I have, if I have a great linebacker and two average linebackers? 
or if I have three good linebackers and the average is the same, who's better? You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. And this is something Pro Football Focus has also done work on, which is what positions matter more. Mm -hmm. And then amongst those position groups, which of the... Is it the second linebacker, the third linebacker, the second tackle? Which ones matter? Because as we've talked about before, with linemen, for example, if you have one weak lineman, you can compensate for him. Put the tight end over there, yeah. roll the other way. If you have two weak linemen, it's hard. So where are those tipping points of either edge or disadvantage? You know, what, what, And then you start thinking scheme. And certain schemes having... Press corners matters, and other schemes, zone corners matter. Football is a very complex game. Most people, myself included, and I'm working towards this, would not be able to take a team from scratch and get a good power rating. That said, to take last year's results and say, not just win-loss record, but what's the truth of that team? And then have a delta for what's been changed. They lost two tight ends, right. but they, you know, look at New England, a lot of changes. That, I think, is more doable. But in a way, it's just a microcosm of what you'd have to do to build from the ground up. And then you start thinking scheme. I mean, it gets complex. Then depth, how much does depth matter? Mm -hmm. And it goes to show you, but in the end, now you would think, now that's the difference in college football, for example. There's certain guys that do very well early and guys that do well later. Guys that do well later usually need results in order to do well. They want to see the games. Guys that do well early, they usually can take, they're doing it for high school players. They're doing it from this freshman, maybe that's becoming a sophomore, that's going to now play it. But look at you know, Matt Jones or whatever. Is at a certain point he was an unknown, mm -hmm. highly recruited. How good is he? Now you've got a couple of games. Now how good is he? And, and in general, most handicappers are one or the other. They either are uh, results-driven, and in, those cappers do best typically in baseball because you have 162 games, NBA, 82 games. Um, the college football is the most you got to speculate because by the time you get a lot of games, the season's almost over. Right. NFL is more speculation. Um and that's why I think that, that some of the people that do really well, usually to me, it's not the math guys that do well in the NFL. Though, as we've gotten to the per play basis, you can make the case that, you know, in a couple of games, you've got hundreds, you know, hundreds of plays and thus you've got some data. If you're going by scoreboard, forget about it. Sure. So, and then you got to think of strength of schedule. Then you got to start saying, well, do we consider the defense and the offense strength of schedule? Then you start into position groups. You look at the D lines versus the O. Like this O line's graded number twenty-eight, but they they played last year against the best rushing defense. You know, mm. defense getting pressured. How do we adjust for that? It is an art and not a science. So, in general, though, Fez, as you were saying, what do we do with the Green Bay's of the world? The question is, what was last year's record? What should it have been? And now, what changes have been made? So let's do that with um, the 49ers. What now, let's call the health of the players a change, meaning you're going to get back these. We're not going to assume what they would have been if they had played. They didn't play. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like the 49ers record was fair considering who played for them last year? No. 
All right, so give me the case the 49ers are, were better than their record. They were 6-10 and 10, record-wise, and points scored, points allowed, they, were, they only were slightly outscored. I think it was seven points. So they were much more indicative of an 8-8 eight and eight team just from a points perspective. Well, how many points is per win? 35. So you're saying if a team is 9-7, and seven, they should be plus 35? Yes. And they should be... Now, that's interesting. So... Mackenzie, pull up the um, just last year's standings. We'll have this. I'm just interested in the point differential. Like, let's just look at the 10 win teams. So you're saying they should be on average 70 points better. Yes. All right. So I don't, don't remember who the 10 wins teams are. So we're doing this randomly. Mackenzie? So the Bills were a 13 win team plus no, one. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. 10 win teams. I got you. Not 10 plus, 10. Miami Dolphins plus 66. All right. Los Angeles Rams plus 76. Wow, looking good so far. Those are the only 10-win teams. All right, that falls pretty solid. So you're saying, how, what was San Francisco's? Net margin? Minus 14. Okay, so they, they should have been seven and a half wins. Yeah. That's, I know when you make your case, you always try to fib to your advantage. Yes. We'll say fib. That's what the Goliath would do. Or male Goliaths, at least. Is, so... We're saying what seven seven point seven five is that what we're saying? Or how many wins would we say? Four, fourteen thirty fifths off Four, of eight. So fourteen's about half. So yeah. but, but we're saying a full win. So seven and a half. Then. Seven okay. and a half. Yep. All right. So seven and a half wins is what they should have won. All right. Go ahead. Now, what's been the what's the improvements? So injuries across the board. All right, but that doesn't tell me anything. What I mean, what injuries? Like what? I'm not saying you got to go player by player, but. How many points a game were these injuries? How many times were they out? Yeah, so I've got a quant. I mean, obviously, they, this is a team decimated with injuries at running back and tight end. That's an interesting word, but... I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back. I will go back and do that ex exact thing. I should have done it already for how many games each one of these players you was on out. on the NFC East. You don't have time for that. Well, not yet, but you're going to get to the NFC East. But explain to me here, how many... Now, the theory is... We don't even know. Like, the first question is, can we get the 49ers to be above their win total? Meaning that kind of starting point, if you're going to bet someone to win a division, you think they should go over the win total. Wouldn't you agree? Usually, yes. Well, because unless the other, th I mean, the theory is, unless you really have a fate, I mean, are you looking to fade the Rams? No. Okay, I wouldn't think so. No. So, and so what, how do you quantify this quarterback situation? So you agree if Jimmy G gets traded, you don't like this. Bet. I'm screwed. Yeah. So this is a. Uh, so there's there, you're right. There's no reason to make this bet until the nebulous situation at quarterback clears up. Was this really just that you somehow stumbled on the fact that in the 17th game is going to be advantageous? So you figure I'll bet them that that, and I saw the opening number on the season win have them and the Rams one two you know tied at the top. And but what's the Rams and what is the 49ers? Like what's the exact number? 10.3. They're identical. So they're tied. All right. But one of them has a better chance to win the division, the Rams. I think they Because what you're saying is by them being identical, but San Fran's plus 200 and the Rams are less than that, you're thinking, oh, there's value. Yes. So what was the Rams number in the division? Let's say. Because my thought would be it's not gonna be. 180. All right, yeah. 
So my thought is it's not going to be necessarily that they're all going to have the, the same distribution. Kind of what they're saying here is I think that the Rams have more upside mm. because with a guy like Stafford, maybe he does get hot, whereas San Francisco with a great coach, not that the Rams don't have a great coach, they're going to be consistent. And, that, that, you know, they, they won't necessarily – they might not have a good chance to win the division, but they have a good chance to have that 11th win or whatever. Whereas if you say, what's the odds of a team having 14 wins out of 17 now, the Rams would have a better uh, that's chance. That's very interesting. You're, you're saying that the tail of the Rams in each it's direction. thicker. It, well, I don't think necessarily down. I think they got more upside. Yeah, they could. But, but, but I mean, the Rams are pretty um, shallow teams in, in terms of depth. Uh, maybe, so, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, if you, if you said, you know what, which team's more likely to win 13 games? The Rams. Which team's more likely to lose 13 games? Unlikely. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I agree. So then it kind of means that the number's right then, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. By the way, remember, we got McKenzie is the guy that did this work, and we came up with the weighted win shares. Now, in the fourth quarter, the expected wins, oh, now this is good. This try, The whole point differential is BS compared to this. Mm. Remember, this is pregame.com exclusive. McKenzie drove this, which was we looked at the fourth quarter. We looked at the expected win percentage after every play. Then we said, what portion of the fourth quarter did it happen? And then we weighted it. One unit, one weight, 15 minutes to 10 minutes. And then double weight from 10 to 5. And quadruple weight four times from 5 to 0. Or end of the game. When it went to overtime, we did it a little differently. And thus, if you had, let's say, a 70% chance to win the whole fourth quarter, you'd get 0.7 win share if you win or lose. They were expected to win 6.7 games. They won six. So your approach said seven and a half. The mathematically driven approach said 6.7. That's a little sobering. Yes. But luckily we have our $300 bet on it. I'm booking it at two to one. Did you, I mean, that's, did you ever do the thing that I said, which is like move the line, like tell me where it's supposed to be if this line is wrong. Where was it supposed to be? Like they were supposed to be like plus 160? Was that what you were thinking? No, because you can't make a case, like you said, that they should ever be favored against the Rams. So where was the edge at? Yeah. Maybe I, directionally, I overreacted to the fact they got to play the Bengals in that week 17. You know what I'm saying? We trust them. Oh, What's up? Money. We're on them, baby. Here we go. Let's get it. Tuition paid. Against you. <laughs> Tuition paid. But listen, it's not cheap. It's Tallahassee, man. The Tallahassee kid. <laughs> Sleepy gave that to you. I said Tallahassee's favorite son. He said the Tallahassee kid. <laughs> that was good. That was good. So it's funny. We got a guy that we, we're probably going to bring in here to dabble a little bit and see how good he is. Justin's his name. He works here in town. He's an NBA guy. But he, him and Sleepy, he posts in the forum. What's he, what's he go by in the forums? Jay Smooth. Smooth. That's right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going with smooth. But Fez yesterday was trying to say smooth. That was interesting. You want to give it a shot? Smooth. <laughs> he like, said it exactly the same way. <laughs> like, do you have both front teeth? Are they, do you have dentures? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, Please the hilarious, stop. yeah. Please there's. Stop. I'm waiting till the pandemic ends to get my tooth fixed. <laughs> my tooth <laughs> fixed. So I'm missing one. Oh my god. Oh, Goliath is not missing teeth. By the way, 
you ever think you might have overdid this? Your health, young, relatively young age, that your obsession with not getting COVID was a little much. I mean, I'm not saying anyone should have wanted to get it. And I'm saying, obviously, a lot of people passed away and it's, you know, it's a horrible thing. But there is a, you know, it's like every time you get in the car, there's a, there's a better chance that you dying than if you stay home, just mathematically. So, you know, we all were kind of weighing bets our whole lives. When you entered into the sports book in a hazmat suit, yeah, you think maybe a little bit much. Possibly so. Maybe you should have got that tooth fixed. Yeah. Just found a way. You could have wore a hazmat suit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It'd be like 2001, a space odyssey or something. All right, good pool there, pulling up that San Fran weighted wind share. So we got our bat 300. You got a nice, ju juicy plus 200 on the 49ers. Now, who are you hoping for now that you've got a little investment there on they draft? Wow. I, I don't... I don't have the slightest idea what whether Mac Jones is better than Trey Lance. I mean, I don't let's think about that. Probably I want them to draft Trey Lance because he would be the most, I guess, coming from Division Two, the, the unfinished product, less likely to to start. And I'd rather I get Jimmy so, G all year. So you you just made a bat that is contingent of in your mind upon Kyle Shanahan keeping Jimmy G. Though Kyle Shanahan, through his actions and words, are telling us he wants nothing less than to have Jimmy G quarterback his team. He'll mortgage, to use your phrase, he'll mortgage <laughs> his future in order to get off of Jimmy G. Yes. But your bet is contingent on him not getting what he wants. One of the elite coaches, mm. not necessarily, not really connected with, like, doesn't seem like A fits with B too much. No, it doesn't. Because really, like you're saying, I hope they draft a useless player with his it's number true. three pick. But then he won't get in the way of Jimmy G. Except the coach hates Jimmy G. Yeah. Hmm. And I like that coach. He's good. <laughs> Mackenzie, what side of this bet do you like? I like the 49ers. 4-0 against the Rams. And I actually do think Jimmy G is going to start, you know, until he gets hurt. As many games as as uh, I think they're I think they're I think they're gonna play him. That's kind of funny until he gets hurt. Hopefully not till you know week fifteen or so. <laughs> the dream, like the stretch goal, is he only gets hurt right before the playoffs. I wanted to ask you. <laughs> yes. Obviously, going from sixteen to seventeen games, is that enough of a change in sample size for us to take a look at these running quarterbacks and say, you know what? There's one more one seventeenth of a greater chance that they get injured over the course of the season. So you're saying, but I guess that would only be applicable before the playoffs, right? Because that 17th game doesn't happen until after the 16th game. So the extra mm -hmm. game happens before the playoffs. So if you were betting win totals and stuff, I don't think it matters. If anything, though, you could go the other way and say teams are cognizant that it's a longer haul and thus they're going to entice their running quarterbacks to run less. Yes. Which means they become less effective. Yes. So they either become less effective or more injured but I think that only applies to Super Bowl bets, not as much season wins, because again, it doesn't really become applicable till the last game, right? You know where it really becomes applicable? Just had an epiphany. All these um, prop bets on these players for rushing yards, and this applies to running backs and wide receivers. You know, if they just prorate every player up by 17 sixteenths, that's too high, because I think they'll be more likely 
to, like you said, maybe have some um, usage rates for some players less. And certainly maybe that, that when that player is questionable and they could go if they patch him up, maybe they make a business decision, more likely one game during the year where he would have played. It wasn't the original thought was they were only going to be allowed playing 16 games? I had heard that, yeah. But that we haven't heard anything about nothing, that. Nothing at all about that. Boy, I, we can't believe what they say. The, the, the spokesmen, the people paid to deceive the PR people, why aren't they telling us the truth? But would you agree that if you blindly bet everybody under... Yeah, but we have no be... idea how they're going to adjust those numbers. If they, but yeah, if they yeah, just... No, I tend to agree with you. I, what I would do personally is I would be reading in the preseason and seeing which coaches are giving us indications mm. that they're going to be worried about usage yeah. and maybe go under in those cases. Okay, so we've got a bet, but are you rescinding that as a bet? I mean, because you didn't, because you broached it, you have to be willing to bet me, but do you want to put that on your record or do you want that to be rescinded? You know, I want to rescind it. I think that's smart. All right, next. But you've got a bet you may keep here coming up. Yes, an FCS football bet. How's your record on that? Seven and two. Didn't you say you were undefeated? So would you have you had a real bad run? No, I lost the very first game of the year. Why were you talking about being undefeated? I think I said I was. I had a winning streak of six in a row. If I said undefeated, I misspoke. Well, I think it was something about the picks you gave out on the radio show. Maybe were undefeated. Yeah. So, what's your record? Like your late, your your premium stuff. People get the very best of Fezzik at pregame.com. What is the FCS record? Seven and two. Okay. And did you win or lose most recently? Went one and one last week. Okay. Lost the two star, won the three star. Okay. So you've got a best bet coming up in that. Let's talk a little college basketball. Let's start with the Tallahassee kid. What did you figure out in the Michigan Florida State? Oh my. God, completely wrong side. Went with the Big Ten. Hey, it's overrated. All right? Never, you know, there's a theme. There's a theme here that you can be right if the odds maker isn't aware of it. But if the odds maker... Or if the betting market isn't aware. Yeah, if they, yes. But when the betting market is aware and they are embracing something, the Big Ten sucks. So I actually, so Michigan opened up higher than a three-point favorite. All the money on the Tallahassee team, Florida State, drops to plus three, drops to plus two and a half. I'm like, we're good. Big Ten's overrated. Hey, closing line value. Closing man. line value. Yeah. Oh, you, dog. Yeah, you know what? Because like Everyone's lemmings. so smart. Like lemmings to the sea. And I say, like, I can't find a smart person. Literally, I'm not saying they don't exist, but I go all around, not many of them. Now, I get that the people moving the line are this, you know, generally the smartest people. And I'm not saying they're not smart. It's just this idea that every line move is brilliant. Oof. And you said it best. It's like, all right, the Big Ten is underperformed by 3.8 points per game. And a sample, the sample wasn't that big, you know, just in March Madness. Well, we figured out that in the season, it was like 250 games. Right. It gave us a sense of how good these teams were. We got an anchor there. Then there was like 10 games. In so in 10 games, I've got a league that's underperformed by almost four points per game. Well, do we expect they're going to underperform by four points per game going forward? No. Now, sure, we're going to downgrade them. And I think you you and I agree. I mean, we, when we looked at Sagarin, yeah, and it was the Pac-12 was at a certain point, and they were like at the bottom of the big six coming into the tournament. And then the Big Ten was at the top. That if we would have adjusted the Pac-12 up three and the Big Ten down three, 
then the Pac-12 would have been two points better than the Big Ten. So the entire season, the Big Ten was four points better than the Pac-12, but somehow the adjustments off of like a net 20 games out of 500 in the two conferences was going to flip that and move it six points net. Which is ludicrous. I, I think, and that would have got you yeah. right to the line. It wasn't yep. even Ex- exact, no value Exactly right. So this is another example. It's like Green Bay again. It's another example where, hey, you know what? You're right. If you could bet, if, if before the tournament started, they put up a hypothetical, Florida State, Michigan, all right? Bet Florida State plus six. Good bet. Don't bet Florida State plus two and a half after everybody knows the Big Ten's not as good as we thought they were. Because you know what? They're still probably decent. They're still probably better than the Pac-12. Plus. Jesus. And I think we saw it. Michigan was hyper-motivated. Oh, yes. Michigan was carrying the banner for the entire conference. And it wasn't they cared about the other teams. It was they wanted to dominate. They wanted to get the recruiting. They wanted Juwan Howard, Juwan Howard there front and center. You know, I well, I think kids, sometimes you ever hear from the mouth of babes? You ever hear that phrase? I've heard the term, yeah. RJ's number one. I think we should just kind of let the kids tell us, Baz. You know what's telling also? Give me an R. Give me a J. What does it spell? Go ahead, Baz. RJ. <laughs> and this is the rare case where sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, you, you don't, you know, bow to the throne of closing line value. I but, don't. You, but you like having line value. Yeah, fine. But here's the case, like, I remember if you looked I at think the, the market's efficient. You looked at the screen and you saw like one and a half pop up in this game, and you like literally on your press morons. <laughs> what, what is this? Listen, I can I bet more? You're like, can I bet more? I could have lost that game. It's not about any one game. I mean, we're having fun with it. It is about, and I do think it was a real. Lesson. I'm not sure you could have lost that. Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, I mean, I think what I'm saying is I didn't know until the game at least got played for ten minutes. Then we knew kind of, but at, at that point is to me, you know, it's interesting. Kenzie just popped up here. If you look at the uh, Michigan showed up big in effort categories, defensive rebounding versus a team known for physicality and defense, which is another thing in the tournament. I think when you have the big boys against the not-so-big boys, sometimes like a Florida State, which is a big boy, playing against lesser schools, they're going to out some of the deficiencies won't really matter because it's almost like a, uh, the ninth graders playing against the eighth graders. But then when you play another big boy, now the physical isn't the key anymore. Now it's coaching. Now Fundamentals. it's discipline. Yeah. And just generally, Michigan's going to have better recruits. I mean, you just know they're going to have a better baseline than typically a Florida State team in basketball. So I didn't know, but I will say this. When I can ex- understand why the public is wrong or why the betters are wrong, I'm very comfortable. If I don't know why they're betting one way, I'm much less so. Because if, if everyone, lo- like Trevor Lawrence, if people are betting Jacksonville or I'm anti-Trevor Lawrence, I think he'll be fine. Tell you this, anyone that thinks Trevor, and again, I think Trevor is a sure thing enough for McKenzie and I to have a major bet on it. But it isn't so much I think Trevor's going to be good. I think it's going to be that the team that drafts him, Jacksonville, is going to have such a commitment to him. They're not going to admit that he's bad, even if he is. Day before the draft, how do you feel about a bridge jumper, late 50 to make a dollar on Lawrence goes Jacksonville, if everything stays the same? Well, to me, it's all about where the bet's being made at. If the bet's being made in Nevada, I'm fine with it. If it's offshore, 
you know, I have no interest in having a ton of money offshore to, uh, you know, that, that who knows, they might shut down the next day. Right? But I, I just said that because it was interesting how you were saying, you, you didn't say probably Jacksonville, you just said Trevor Lawrence, well, Jacksonville. At some, so, point, at, some, yeah. at some point, you're spending too much time, you know, the given is we're not sure, but the given is we're 99. I mean, I doubt you can even get 50 to one, you know, or one to 50. Mackenzie, uh, or lay out our bet. Will Trevor Lawrence be a starter in his fourth year? I'm laying, or I'm getting plus 350. You're laying minus 350. If he's injured, if he can't play, if he's, well, if he's injured but projected to start, then you're the winner. I'm the winner. If, if he's injured and his career's over, there's no bet. It's so a it's, it's got to be, yeah, no bet. So it's got to be a coach's decision. This guy is the second string quarterback. He's healthy, but he's the second string quarterback. So Robert Griffin the third, he had a terrible injury, not career ending, and then by his fourth year he was not. No, I, a I think you win. Would that, that be a winner? Okay. Yeah, you win in that case. We can because there's too much subjectivity to go back and and say, well, he's not starting because he was hurt, right? Now I'll give you that one. I, I just want to be fair, Steve. That's all. Donald's probably going to start for the Jets, right? I don't think so. God no. Mm. Are you? Do you follow the news? <laughs> I mean, Zach, you think they're going to keep... You're right, you're right. Draft Zach Wilson and keep... The, That's Donald. interesting. Will he start week but, one? But it's yeah. not start with Jacksonville. It's start with whatever team he's on. Yes. So if Darnold gets traded, who he could start. I mean, I would feel bad for that team. Who's going <laughs> to Who's gonna want him? Well, I mean, listen. Colin Cowherd today. Listen, well, I, I'm just going to... I'm just going to... Uh, just say what he said. I'm not going to... No commentary other than it's crazy. But... He said if he was drafting and Sam Darnold was part of the draft, so now you got the five big quarterbacks, right? So let's go down that list. Mackenzie, who's the five? Trevor Lawrence, mm -hmm. Zach Wilson, mm -hmm. Trey Lance, mm -hmm. Mac Jones, mm -hmm. and the Ohio State kid Justin Fields. Yes, Mr. Th what was he? 4-2, 4-4-4? 4-4-40. All right, 4-4-4-40. Okay, <laughs> that's as fast as anyone but RG3. Now, some of the guys didn't run in the last 10 years or whatever. Okay, so now he said, imagine that there's a sixth entrant and it's Sam Darnold. Now, he didn't say anything about what year of the contract he was because that makes it even harder to want Darnold with one year left at cost, you know, uh, low cost, and then he's into a fifth year, which no one's going to exercise the option on, so... You know, he'll be a free agent effectively after this year. If the 50-year option is not exercised, if it is, it's like $25 million you're going to pay Sam Darnold. But let's even forget that. Let's just say contracts are the same. Where would you draft? And it, listen, you might like Sam Darnold. Don't think, because I don't like him. Don't go against him here. Where do you draft Sam Darnold? Last. Mackenzie? Last. I think it's absolutely last because really the worst thing that it could be, it's almost like I'd rather a random fifth rounder than Sam Darnold <laughs> because there's a chance a random oh, fifth rounder is going to be good. We know Sam Darnold's not good. Yeah, Sam Darnold has no upside ceiling. He's, he can't help me. My name is Casper. I mean, that's what we know. His name's Casper. <laughs> I mean, I, I've told you this theory before. Once someone established, it's like, am I more afraid at, at a poker table? Someone sits down cold. I don't know anything about him. He might have a fanny pack. His first, he might have a Freddy on his shirt. It says, I'm Freddy. 
And I'm still more scared of him than the guy I've played with I know knows is no good. Because I know he's no good. This guy might be good. <laughs> Fanny pack or not. I, I'm thinking about my, my poor friend Ronnie. He, he folded trips to Miss Finland. Never had played with her. Thought she looked confident. <laughs> Miss Finland? What do you mean, Miss Finland? He was on one of those those poker at night. Um, oh, so pairings. this was on TV? Yes. Did he know this lady wasn't a professional player? He had no information on her whatsoever. So, but there were, it wasn't random people that they pulled to play. So he had to know the names of the people. He didn't, like, he couldn't have researched. I think people. he went out late the night before. Oh, okay. Mm. So how's he, your, how's he your friend if he's out late the night before? Okay. <laughs> he's friends with Jared, so okay. I kind of by association, I got yeah. to be buddies with him. And, and it was trips. He's like, I must have something big. He's like talking to her, and she has no idea. So it's it's like she doesn't speak English. She's, it's like that Far Side where it's like Ginger the dog, bad dog Ginger. Ginger check raise me, and the dog Far just, Side. What are you talking about? In one of the Far Side episodes. What is Far Side? The Gary Lawrence, the cartoon Far the Far Side. You've seen the Far Side. No, I haven't. It, I really no. That's impossible. No, no I would have laid. Very, it's very possible. I would have laid a hundred to make this, a dollar. This that you knew very, what the far side. I'm is. seeing it on the screen. This looks very nerdy. Like, <laughs> I don't think you realize hmm. just because I'm I have a I'm pretty smart doesn't mean that I was playing Dungeons and Dragons growing up. We were dunking kids' heads in the toilets that were playing Dungeons and you Dragons. Told me now I was trying to help those poor kids. I was like the 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 guy with I was like the Charlie Sheen character, but you, with, I, with, I believe with, that. But with more belly. I wasn't like there with my shirt off on the that might if I had Charlie Sheen's physique, I might have been with the dark side all the way. I'm the one with all those dice with like 18-sided <laughs> ones. But I could see the thing, the reason I took up for the the nerds was I knew inside me I had a nerd in mm. there that I quelched down and kept down, punching it, stay down, stay down. And I knew that one day it'd pop up and I was trying to kind of lay the groundwork to be okay. More you were intelligent enough to realize you could have been that. No, 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 no one chooses to be a nerd. You can be intelligent and not be right. a nerd. There's a whole different thing there, right? I mean, think, there's quarterbacks like um, Herbert, right? Supposedly graduated from Oregon with a 3.9 whatever, you think he was a nerd? No. He, you think he was playing Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> no. No. Did you know Farside, McKenzie? I was vaguely aware of it. Like Only vaguely. That's but interesting. To the, but to the point where he would quote, like, just one, <laughs> there was one cartoon, was it a cartoon? I didn't pick up the newspaper. Well, it was on day. TV or was it just in the newspaper? Just in the newspaper. So you were literally <laughs> saying, if you would have caught back in 1989, this one strip, it's just like that. This shows I'm a complete nerd because I thought Farside was like but, Simpsons. But even if something, you thought the Farside, do you see a lot of merchandise for Farside? Like, you know how you see Bart Simpson's shirts and, yeah. and book bag? Do you ever see it for Farside? Just books and just the but animated that's books. That's not called merchandise. No. But, but, but yeah, I've seen it before. Like they'll show like, yeah, they'll show a guy with the shirt on that's like, he's like, um, what do you mean they'll show they'll, a guy? There'll be a shirt like that he's a deer and he's got like a bullseye on his chest and his buddy says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Shirts like that. But, you, but you're saying they'll show. There it is. Okay. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying, do you ever see this merchandise? I, I do, but maybe I'm, look, I think I'm looking for it. Where? When's the last time you saw it? I think. Where were you? The computer convention in Vegas. <laughs> 
<laughs> you think maybe a, a selection bias? Yes. <laughs> Perhaps? Okay, so what we now know is <laughs> in computer conventions and physics mind, <laughs> Farsight is a big hit. And I'm sure it was a hit way back. What year did it run? I can tell you this. I saw a picture of that Gary Lawrence dude. He looks like people that an old friend of mine, Mark, that still runs customer service for us. I was his college roommate. You know, but you know, it was dictated by the school. Nice guy. But he was a like a Dungeons and Dragons guy, but he actually would make fun of those. He had another kind of game he played that was cooler, supposedly. But he had he he lived in Vegas for a while. There were gamers that would this is you know, computers were big, but they still played these analog games, like war games. They'd have like yeah, we're taking on France. You know, Napoleon's right. going against Russia. And they'd spend like 36 straight hours playing. I don't know if they were on speed or what they were doing. But it was like, and everyone there had like a real, like no muscle in their body. But, but they weren't all fat. But when they were fat, they'd have a big belly. Mm. But nothing else was big on them. And they always had shirts that were like from 25 years ago. So thin. Yeah, this thing ended in 1991. <laughs> it's been 30 effing years. You're quoting a, a nerd comic strip from 30 years ago. The Simpsons are on this Sunday. <laughs> New episode. <laughs> I mean, what is wrong with you? You could do a far side on. No, no one would. No, no, on this very topic. No, because no one knows what that means. <laughs> If you love Farside, at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K, you found your home, at Fezzik Sports. If you don't, at RJ in Vegas. <laughs> All right, next topic. Um, let's talk about the, because you did, the reason you did like the 49ers was the 17th game has been decided. I hate this decision. So they're doing one additional cross- conference game. NFC plays AFC. AFC plays NFC. My first concern was, boy, this is kind of random. Who's home? Who's away? It's going to be a, um, what do they call that in baseball where it's not a something schedule? Symmetrical? It's not that word, but it's kind of like, it's like, you know, do they play the same teams mm -hmm. effectively? But then, as Steve explained, as Fez explained, it was like, okay, each year there's going to be a home conference and a away conference, AFC home this year, NFC away. That's the theory is whoever you're competing with record-wise, because you're not competing cross-conference ever record-wise, because Super Bowl doesn't have a home court or home field. Uh, that evens itself out. Okay, fine. But what it doesn't even out is now, before there were two teams, games, opponents, two opponents, that were about your ranking in last year in your division. One, two, three, or four. Because you play another division, all teams. You play across division, all teams. And six games in your division. That was ultimately the 14 games. And then the final two were in the two divisions in conference, you don't play everyone. You only played your slot. So one, two, one would play one, two would play two, et cetera. And that was two games dictated by the first place schedule. That's it, two. Now it's a third game because you're going across to another division in the other conference, AFC, NFC. And lo and behold, Washington, a.k.a. the football team, my, 
favorite preseason bet plus 350. They've got to go play at Buffalo. I don't like it. Now, Dallas has to play at New England, so I feel a little less, I mean, though still a much less difficult game. Faz, any other thoughts on this? Yeah, that San Francisco really benefited from Yes, that. yes. Because yes. they got to play my lowly Bengals, whereas all the other three teams... I remember, you like Joe Burrow a lot. I do. Remember, you had him against... You took the team that blows out bad teams, Baltimore, that you thought was so good, and you said, oh, I like Cincinnati. Getting like 13, I think. <sighs> and, and I said, why do you like them? You said, Joe Burrow. So have you changed your opinion after he has reconstructive knee surgery or what? I have to see. I have to see how he, if he comes back at 100%. So if so, then really there is no advantage for San Fran because of Joe Burrow. No, because the rest of the Bengals stink. And you know that as a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, the Steelers are always going to beat up on my Bengals. It's, I don't care salary cap. It doesn't matter. Parody. There's no parody there. So in the NFC West, you're playing the AFC North. Seattle plays Pittsburgh. Rams play Ravens. Oh, I like that. Toughest one. Cardinals play Browns. And the 49ers play the Bengals. Right now, if you had to pick, if I said who will finish higher, Steelers or Browns, just wins, or in the standings, whatever the tiebreakers are. God says Cleveland. What's the, what's the number say from... The new numbers out from Cleveland, 9.7. Pittsburgh, 8.6. Wow. Wow. Big difference. Wow. Pittsburgh, not getting a big band, that narrative. Okay. So we're going to do something interesting, and we should have this out by Friday. So I'll tweet it at RJ in Vegas. We're going to look at the projected point spread in all the 17th game matchups. From that point spread, Fez is going to project it. We're going to then take a fractional win. So based on a certain spread. So give me an example. A team's a three-point favorite. Green Bay at Kansas City. A team's a three-point favorite. Explain then how do you convert that to oh, a win percent. So a three-point favorite would win 60% of the time. Expect so to- you're going to give 0.6 wins to the favorite, 0.4 wins to the underdog. Yes. Then we're going to say of the 16 other games, not the 17th game, what is the fractional wins per game? What is it times 16 that gets them to the number of like 8.6 or 9.3? Back into it, yeah. And then from there, we're going to be able to say, does the 17th game, does it help them or hurt them? Because you could have a team that's going to win, let's say 75% of their games, it says out of the 16, 65% chance to win the 17th game. You think 65% means it's a good game for them, but no, that game. So it's going to be, is the 17th, effectively it will be, is the 17th game more difficult or less difficult than the average opponent? That's the way this is going to be calculated. Adjusted for a home field also. Yes, but that's true because the other 16 is going to be 8-8. Eight and eight. Here it's mm-hmm. going to be adjusted for home field. So the AFC has an advantage, NFC won't. That's going to be interesting because, one, it's going to tell us what effect we should feel about that 17th game. So the 49ers are going to have a a nice advantage because the chance of them winning even at Cincinnati is better than their average schedule. Right. And we're going to say, like, for example, the Rams at the Ravens is going to be tougher than their average schedule. And it will abstract out the 16 games to say if it was a normal season, what would be the win total Mm -hmm. for this team? So it'd be an interesting way to go about this. And we're going to send that out, all the raw data, 
And really, the beauty of it is you can print that out and have it all the way through the start of the season. Okay, moving on, going through Fez's notes here. Oh, we dug in a little bit into college basketball. We got into Michigan and all that. Let's not overdo it. Most people have done their recaps. What were your take? Let's start with the Zags. Are the Zags the best team? I think right now it's an open debate. Is this the best team in the modern era? And I'm saying from 1975 or 76 on, Indiana went undefeated in 76 with Bobby Knight. Are they the best team since then? I think they are. If you take a look at... It wasn't that long ago that you bet two teams, Baylor and Illinois, against Gonzaga. Now, you still got Baylor alive, but you're you're obviously in a negative Yeah, I have gotten just slapped around by the Zags, and it it didn't help me that the one game I paid the most attention to was arguably their weakest game they played in the tournament. They still covered. They beat Oklahoma by 16. Yeah, that's weak, though, if you only win by 16. (laughs) Yeah, they're up 10, you know, late. But, I mean, the mere fact... You think that there might be... An example of what I tell you is when you only watch fractions of a season that it's better not to watch any of it, or you got to discipline yourself not to overreact to what you see. Yes. But you still can't resist. I think I... I mean, should your take on a team really be affected by if if the phone rings? I saw the West Coast Conference Championship game where BYU was up 12 against the Zags at halftime. But... but like, don't you realize the game's 60? I mean, there's a certain I know. 40 minutes long. There's a certain length it's supposed to be. But they still so underperformed that, in that game. And they still won by double digits. Yeah. So that's what I'm confused by. It's like you can you can take any sliver of any... I mean, what team ever dominates every second? <laughs> right? Like, ever. Never. So, like, did you think... Hell, you could make the, the case that Zags are the closest thing to it. Yeah, they're four and zero against the spread, despite coming in as the prohibitive favorite. But, I mean, how but, often but does so, that happen? But somehow you found a way to skew it so they were bad. Yeah, because remember, you were talking about you. You put a bet out to bet against them on the no. What, what was it? They were like plus three fifty or plus three hundred. They were they were minus two forty. Take back was plus two hundred. So I said yes, bet. But the you field didn't say yes. You were like, this is a I great like bet. the you field got, minus two forty. Yes, yes, it was like a huge bet. Bet the field it. minus two forty. Love it. All right. Well, you don't love it now. Oh God. So now Gonzaga's heading towards now let, let's see towards the minus two forty. I know they're only minus one ninety, but yeah. Thinking about zigging and zagging, <laughs> are you going to be backing the Zags? Not at fourteen. I think at some point you just say you got this team wrong, and probably better to just stick with totals instead of playing sides that you keep getting or, wrong, or maybe not bet any of it. Yeah, right. Because like to some degree, this isn't easy. And I think you're, and I'll be candid, you know, why is Fez here might be a question many are asking. It's because in certain areas, he is as talented as anyone, more talented than anyone I've ever met. But because of those areas, it came easy to him. Like a lot of Goliaths, it comes easy. And there's a tendency to think, oh, it can be easy here. It can be easy there. It only takes... And with aging, this happens, Fez, I hear, is it only takes a little bit of a draw. I mean, think about it. Jerry Rice was the best in the game, and he worked really hard to maintain, and then one day he wasn't, and then one day he was out of the league. And if you looked at Muhammad Ali, there was a 30 by uh, thirty for 30 about Ali's fight against Holmes. 
And he was, you know, he was done. He barely beat Leon Spinks in the rematch in 78. And this was like, I think almost 18 months later. But, and Larry Holmes was a sparring partner. No one really liked Holmes. And Holmes, though, was a ruthless, had that jab. And if you look at that 30 by 30, 30 for 30, is by my untrained eye as a boxing fan, I'm not a trained boxing expert, Ali looked as good as he probably almost did since he came back after the hiatus. He physically wasn't fat. He looked fine. He got killed. It wasn't even a match. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, sad, really. And then he fought two more times after that. But the fact of the matter is, it's hard to tell. Like, if you, if you look at... I don't know what Peyton Manning's shape is right now. But I'm pretty sure if Peyton Manning had a normal, I don't know if his neck started bothering him again, but assuming it's the normal five years or whatever after retirement, Peyton Manning could go out there and throw in a way that it'd be hard to really tell that he wasn't a professional mm. quarterback. And he couldn't even, you know, he was hardly, a, you know, NFL level his last year or at least at the end of it. I mean, I thought his smarts made up for it. But the point I'm saying is it's, it, in general, the, the difference between the elite elite and everyone else is, or not everyone else, but the second tier, the second tier that aren't, it's like golf, we talk about this all the time, is that the scratch golfers at the local country club are really good. I mean, they are like people, I mean, I, I can speak for this. I played a lot, after I graduated college, for like two or three years, I played basketball almost every day. There was a, uh, a, a group that were uh, just starting college, and one of them played at Marietta College. One of them played at Wheeling College. These were all college-level players. I was the worst of the bunch. But we'd play two-on-two, three-on-three, five-on-five, nonstop. And I could shoot, no joke. But that was it. And they were so much better than me, it was ridiculous, especially the best one. The best one was was... You know, it would be me and him playing two on twos a lot because, you know, worse than the best. He, there, you know, there's a famous story where he was in his prime, you know, famous locally, and he went up against, uh, I, I think it was Jay Bursa, maybe. I'm, I'm having trouble remembering who, but it was a guy that played at West Virginia. And they were playing in, now remember, Wheeling College in West Virginia is a whole different thing, right? One's Division Three, And where he played an entire game where you could have said he played the guy to a draw. Mm -hmm. So literally the guy who was like almost playing like with a child when he's playing with the other ones, even the other college players, because he was like all conference and wheeling college conference. In his best day, he played a W, you know, WVU West Virginia point guard to a draw. And, you know, who knows if that guy was even in shape, you know, for the summer or whatever. And then think of the levels above that, right? You've got the people who could play in the G League mm -hmm. and then the people that could, you know, be all, let's say, all or all um, American in college basketball, then the G League, then the 12th guy on the Celtics, and then the seventh guy. That, it's like, and then you got LeBron, right? And the difference, the, the guys that are, not in the NBA are super good. My point being, Fez, you might be super good at some of this stuff, 
but the but there's the level in which you're in that top tier that people can't even understand how you're doing it. And then there's the level below that. And I don't think you can tell the difference. I think that you were so focused on the things that you were the LeBron and are the LeBron at. And I say we're only because some of those things have dried up a little bit, I think. But in-game betting, I think you, the case could be made that that's where you are right now. I think with the NFL, when you got all the data, I think you're there. I think in the preseason, you're at a disadvantage and I pick on you a little bit. But the fact is, in the preseason, you're in the 99th percentile. But on Sunday morning, you're in the 99.99. So, like, can you see the difference in that? Or do you think you're all the same, but you seem to get... Do you ever notice that I back you against Maddie Holt sometimes, and then other times I back Maddie Holt? Do you ever wonder why that is? Well, you decipher the information very well where you can, I think, where you can tell. But if I knew the best, I'd be betting you guys originating it. Meaning oftentimes I'm reacting to what area it is. And yeah, you know what, what, what I'm the best at. As an example. But do you? I think you do more than I. Well, then let me tell you, the areas that you're not, you and I'm going to give you one that we can work on. This will be a fun thing we do throughout this, the, the off season is one of the areas that you need to work on is when you get something directionally right, you have to be able to price it. Mm -hmm. Has it moved enough? Has it moved too much? And you know what's funny? When you decide to put your mind to that, you actually price it well, but you just don't seem to want to do it. It's a great point. And just to, to use an example where you were spot on on this, as I told you before this tournament started, I said, RJ, this Lucas Oil thing, it's not good to play in a football stadium. This is going to hurt scoring. It happened in the Big 12 conference tourney. And then you start asking me the questions. And I was like, you know, when they when they put the lines up, they didn't even know where the games were. They weren't announced yet. And you're like the light bulb. Went out. You're like, oh, I think that's going to work because it wasn't obvious. You know, you had to I do extra work, et cetera. You get at those numbers. And plus, if, once it was announced, if you act first, you're going to get to move, be there before the move happens. Yeah, and you had you, if you just blindly played all the Lucas Oil at opener games in the tournament, you're 9-3 and three now. It's been very profitable. So how? So the Elite Eight round, four games were all at Lucas Oil. How did the totals do there? Three and one to the under. Okay, and how? what was the movement on those totals? They all went down about... A point and a half to two points. Okay. Every one of them. So how about the final four? What's been the movement so far now, That's there? interesting. There's been no movement in the totals, but it sure looks like... Does it look like that the totals, that the, the odds maker finally accounted for it? Yes, it does. Okay. And how do we quantify that? You know, I ask, I, I asked a, a guy, well, what do you think of these totals? One of my college basketball guys said, and he said, boy, that Zags total looks awfully low to me. I want to play over. And it's interesting when the public's getting most involved, they're they're not afraid of the public overaction. So, by the way, speaking of Final Four, Gonzaga, 14-point favorite. Now, if we go back and say, what's the biggest Final Four spread since 1985? This is the biggest one. In fact, the biggest one prior to this was Duke over Michigan State in 1999. Duke was 11. So, from the modern era of 64 teams starting 1985 till now, there hasn't been a single Final Four game with a spread above 11, and now it's 14. All right, what we've seen, though, and if you can pop that up, Mackenzie, we've seen more double-digit double seeds being in the Final Four, where we had a long time between 1986, when it was LSU, and 2005. Through that time, there was only one. 
won, and that was LSU in 86. Then in 2006, we had George Mason. And then I think in 2011, we started with VCU, and we'll get that up in a second. I'm just going by memory before that. And then there's been like, you know, like four of them. So what we can be sure of is there's increased parity in college basketball. Thinking of parity, Mackenzie's got monkeys that are typing this up. Like, how long is this going to take? Another 10 seconds. 10 more seconds, okay. And you nailed the parody being uh-huh. the very first round of the tournament when we had four major upsets, 13 or worse seeds, winning against one, twos, threes, and fours. But again, it was a situation where we got lucky because the UCLA was the last game, right? We needed UCLA. Uh, Gonzaga played first yesterday. Right? Yes. So we needed UCLA to upset Michigan. Now, you probably were on Michigan because you thought, oh, I got the Big Ten wrong. Now I'm going to bat Michigan. I wasn't. Oh, thank God. So, you know, Fez, for regular talk radio stuff, we can say um, Gonzaga might be the best team in modern era. We'll see. Big favorite here. What do you – now, you've got Baylor in this bat. I actually think Baylor has been a team that's been kind of like a boomerang. They were right up there with Gonzaga the whole year. Right, one A, one B. Yes. Then they had a, I think, a twenty-day COVID hiatus. Exactly. Break, and then they came back one and two against the spread, and it they were two and one straight up, but one and two against the spread, and there was a sense of oh, this team isn't as good. But from a from a quite a while ago now, this tournament even Baylor's played like the team that was right there one A, one B. Right now, maybe Gonzaga's taking even another step forward. So, but if you take Gonzaga how they were perceived in February 1st, let's say, his Baylor team is pretty much as good as we thought they were February 1st. That's correct. They've delivered. Their wins against Wisconsin and against Villanova, they win both games by about 10 points. And that's right about where, when Baylor was at its peak, you would have expected them to beat those teams. Now, I'm not a college basketball handicapper, but I look at this Houston, I think one versus two, if it's not a one that's the best one, if it's not like the, the tournament favor, which obviously Baylor isn't, I think a line of like five, and is that the current number? That is the current number. Is high. One, one and two is typically... Now, is this a particularly bad two? Is this a particularly good one? No. The, the and, why is this line so high? I what, think, what does Ken Palm say, McKenzie? Take a minute. Go, go ahead. I mean, if you take a look at the twos, you know, Purdue. Ohio- well, this is the only two left. Yeah, but- exactly. Ohio State, Alabama, Houston. I mean, if you, you we could have a Are nice debate. Are you making fun of Dave Asler, right? Are you like subtweeting Dave? <laughs> a little, little. Hey, you shoot for 11 for 25 from free throw land, you go home, right? Well, let me say this. It was a whitewash with Dave and me. <laughs> So, I mean, we'll see if Gonzaga wins it. But it, we went, remember, he had uh, Colgate. Colgate. Mm. And then we had, uh, he had Alabama and Illinois. And I've got the Zags. And then I think there was one more. I can't remember. A minimum. You, you remember, remember McHenry? Alabama. McKenzie? <laughs> McHenry, I kind of like that. Yes. You, you already said Alabama going out early? Yeah, well, remember, that was his Alabama-Illinois versus my Gonzaga. Yeah, I feel like there was one more. I'm trying to remember. I kind of do, too. So just my instincts are correct here. Ken Palm says 
Baylor minus one. Wow. When are you going to get a four-point difference in a game like of this magnitude? Now, is that the math, is that the projection or the mathematics? That's their projection. Okay. Wow. What is going on here? You know what it is? I bet the algorithm can't... Because the algorithm won't be able to take out... The stuff that happened in February, end of February is still fairly recent. Mm. So we're saying we're going to excuse those games because of the COVID. I think what's happening is Ken Palm's got those ranked as like the sixth and That's seventh. a good point. They're seeing Baylor barely beat an Iowa State team yeah. that didn't win a conference game all year long. So... As an example. But still, is that four points? I think the... Va- to me, I'm not going to bet it probably, but I think there, there looks like there's value on Houston. And Houston is a slow-paced team. I mean, so is that total, what, 135? So I tell you what, I'd much rather have those points in a lower total game than a higher total game. Though so I'm thinking, I hate taking less than seven and a half with a dog just because of the fouling at the end. Do you think in general, would this be like a fair approach? And we could do a study on this. Um, by the way, that game was February 23rd. You're talking about Iowa State and Baylor was favored by 24 and one by five. So I'm just going to do this in my head. That was a 19 point differential. (laughs) But if all we did was say any underdog that we had that was less than seven, seven at least you could push. So let's say less than seven. So six and a half or less. Well, six and a half. No, they don't stop at six. So, Okay. So six and a half or less, you just played the money line. I wonder how that way. I just wonder, do they, because we know that, that, that seven, eight, eight and a half, like those are half points are worth more, right? A little bit more, yes. Well, that's what more is, right? Yes, they're worth more. <laughs> so, so is it a situation that the money line is, a, is counting those more? Hmm. Because if it's not, effectively, by taking the money line, you're selling points, right? If I'm, at, 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 let's say in this case, a five-point right. underdog, I'm selling them plus five, plus four and a half, plus one to pick them, right? Mm-hmm. Are they pricing that right? Because whatever the increase is from six to six and a half, to, or I guess from six and a half to seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, let's say, at that point, if it's mispriced, I guess the way to say it is if I would sell those back and wouldn't get a premium, I'd be stupid to sell those back. But selling back the less valuable half points would make sense, right? Yes, it would. And to, so, so to the summarize, way to figure that would be simple. It'd be take all those lines in a season. What is your net result from playing the spread? What's your net results from playing the money line? Yes. And in theory, over a full season, you'd have enough sample size to say, you know, it's at, and at least if you went over three seasons, you would certainly have it. What do you think? I like it. It sure seems also that if you bet a team plus five and they're down three, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and there's two minutes to play, you're like, they, to oversimplify, they could win or they could lose and not cover. You know, mm-hmm. certainly those are not, Unusual events. I, I guess the way to say it to me is there's a lot of unfair, like where the ATS result is not commensurate with the truth of the game. Yes. Where you can have a situation that you're tied with two and a half minutes left and lose by six easy. And it literally was an even game. 
and a plus six, you lose. Yes. In the NFL, you don't often lose a plus six if it's an even game. Now, occasionally, mm -hmm. teams are going to be tied. They're going to score a touchdown late. But usually they don't. They kick a field goal late. Right? Yes. Okay, any closing thoughts on the NCAA tournament so far? Well, I just wanted to address the whole why teams don't land three, four, five versus six, seven, eight. This three-point shot is just death for you when you're down four or five because you come down, there's 20 seconds to play, and you're well, down— it's not death for you if you're trying to win the game. That's, that's right. But you're down five points with 20 seconds left. You have to shoot a three. It's the only way you're going to catch up. And you usually miss. Dude, are you, I mean, isn't what you're saying like a child understands that you are playing a high-variance game, you're shooting threes, there's yeah. a chance you might win, and then if you don't, they keep shooting foul shots and it extends the lead. Then finally it gets to be futile and you dribble out. And it's seven or eight. I That's understand right. that. That's yeah. the whole premise of what we're saying. What right. are you saying? Sure. <laughs> the, as Howard Cosell would say, the master of the obvious, Steve Fezzik. But if anything, as teams get better at shooting threes, it feels like the chance of coming back increases. And thus, the money line on the dogs get better and better as time goes on. Because when they're down by five with 40 seconds left, they're going to win a higher percentage of games. Yes. And they're not going to cover a higher percentage of games. There you go. Back cause, to... Because of their proficiency at shooting, they're going to keep trying hard. Maybe they start trying all the way up to nine and nine, mm. you know, until it's four possessions, you know, because we've seen teams try later than it made sense. Oh, Sure. But in general, all these actions, none of them decrease the chance of winning the game for the under or for the team losing. They do not. So if anything, if four years ago this system was break even, meaning let's say point spreads and money lines were the same net result, I would love to have the the money lines now because I think they're getting more efficient at these. I things. agree with that. Last thing in college basketball, so you don't see any value right now with the whole Lucas Oil venue unders i do not okay but so far you gave this out before the tournament you said and we made a point to say play against the openers and the one time when we did give it out initially we didn't know the venues yet so we said hey played as soon as they're known against that at the time we said to play the ultimate record was nine and three Winning towards the under. Yes, and if you played it right I, at post, I think that's I think that's seventy five percent. Eight and four at post, sixty seven percent. Okay, but we don't care about post, right. do we? We don't. And to me, that distinction between nine and three and eight and four tells a story. In this case, your stuff was the logic was great. It even against the later number, the number had moved a little bit. It's still one eight and four. But if you play against the early number, as we suggested, you would have won an additional game nine and three. Sometimes, oftentimes, that will be all of the edge. So you can't just think, oh, if I played it early, I'll win a lot. And if I play it later, if I'm tardy, I'll win some, but not as much. No, oftentimes you're going to lose if you play tardy. Luckily, in this case, even tardy players did well. Okay, let's see what else we have here. You got your 49ers best bet. We went over that already. No, you got a lot of red on this. <laughs> ah. Okay. Colts, very thin a QB. What's your thoughts there? Well, last year, the Colts had... had well, I disagree with this. Totally. Inter interesting. Well, they had Rivers at quarterback. 
And then they had Brissett backing him up. So, oh no, actually, I agree with you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was looking at Br- Brissett and thinking, boy, I think Brissett's one of the top five backups in the league. But that was last year. I'm exactly sorry. right. So they lose Brissett. So basically, I don't know if they've upgraded or downgraded quarterback. I think once it's a well, slight. I think we know that it's a downgrade. Yeah. I mean, yeah. meaning this downgrade. Um, go ahead. No, you go. Ahead. Well, I think it is. Um, is Rivers going to be a year older this year or yeah, not? I, he's certainly going to be a year older. Okay, so I think it's a <laughs> Unless de- he found the fountain of youth. <laughs> I'd rather have Rivers last year than to have Wentz this year. And would say, I, I, yeah, okay. I I mean, there's teams, there's a lot of people that's done studies on what the downward trajectory is. I, I'll tell you this, I would make the case that Rivers wasn't any worse at the end of the year than he was at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I agree with that. So, I mean, he played a great playoff game. That's probably one of the best last games a quarterback's going to play. What was his QBR in that? I know take him into the the Super, or probably not even worth the Super Sheet. 91 against the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs. Quite a way to end it. Who plays their last game in the playoffs and get a 91? Yeah. So, I say this. Wentz has a higher ceiling. This is back to the fat tail. Because Wentz in 2017 was better than... You know, Rivers has been for a long time, I think it's fair to say. But I think Rivers is more consistent. Yes. There's a chance that what we saw last year with Wentz is what he is at this point. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, and PFF was talking about this, where it seems like that with Frank Reich, he's talking about the 2019 version. Like, that's his goal. Maybe that's just setting expectations reasonable, but he's not talking about 17. And the question is, Wentz in 2019 versus Rivers... I'm not sure I don't want Rivers. Now, remember, that was the 19 where he was on his back the whole year. That's interesting. Look at Wentz's QBR in 19 versus Rivers in 20. Almost exactly the same. 62.8 for Wentz in 2019. Rivers this past year, 62.5. All right, so now here's the question. What is the bigger drag? Rivers being a year older from 20 to 21 or the uncertainty of Wentz being able to return to what he was in 19. I think the uncertainty is bigger. I think so, yeah. I mean, So, slight downgrade of quarterback. And that's a starting quarterback. Yes. Now we got no backup. Jacob Eason is the backup instead of Jacoby Brissett. Jake, doesn't he make baseball bats? He does. That's what his second He's... job is. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you know about Eason bats? I don't. Because that was, that was actually kind of cool that you you actually, I thought, boy, he knew something that wasn't like Dungeons and Dragons. Did you play, did you ever, like, did you play Little League? Yeah. Like, you probably played T-ball, but you didn't play like free pitch Little League. No, did I you? did. Was it underhand throws? No. Someone over, someone was throwing like, cur- little 12-year-olds were throwing curveballs to Fezzik. Our best pitcher was Mark Krebs, the guy who became the, the, the star quarterback in our, in our high school. Was good at everything. Real smart guy, too. Ray Krebs is from Dallas? No. Leo, uh, Leo Krebs was his dad. And a finer baseball coach than Leo Krebs or Bayard Leash, the so, assistant coach. So These this, were great, great coaches. Dayton, Ohio. I mean, I didn't know yeah, how I mean, good I had it. the best ever. I was in fifth grade. <laughs> RJ. These were just tremendous men. They were. And then you quit baseball. What no, was- then I actually moved on to another team, and it, I didn't. And then I realized then you quit how, baseball. <laughs> I realized how good I had it, and, I, like quit, and I quit baseball. So, what was your level that you quit? Uh, we had Little League, Bronco, Pony, Colt. Then it went into high school. 
when, I, when did you quit? Right around seventh grade. Little League. I, did, I stopped playing after Little League. Because they were throwing curveballs. I, I never got that far. You didn't want that ball coming at your head. I still, I would love, if anyone has any Super 8 footage of Little Fezzik playing baseball, I will offer a $1,000 reward. <laughs> How great would that be? Him acting like like John McEnroe, like on calls and stuff. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Steve Yale, during batting, we were just, you know. Why are you bringing up all these people's names? I don't know. Do you he, think you're doing them a favor? He, he pitched so fast that he drilled me in the back when we were on just purpose? practicing. Who the heck You think knows? he was going for your head? No, but. He might have been. I mean, knowing you, if you were batting now, like against like bookmakers, they'd be headhunting like crazy. Did yeah, you have the pompadour point. back then, Fez? I had the Pete Rose cut. Look up Pete Rose when he played. A little mullet. I got you. Yeah, we, we understand Pete Rose. Thanks. So you had a buzz cut. Did your mom put a bowl on your head? <laughs> yeah, exactly. She That's did what really? it looked like. She really did. She really did. And she scotch tape too. She would put scotch tape and cut. That had to be, like, mentally scarring. Now, at what age did you start going to a pay barber? Now, I've heard, of, <laughs> I've heard of pay lawyers. Like, on The Wire, they say, oh, you've got a fancy pay lawyer, as opposed to the public defender. Fez, for you, it's pay barber. When did that start? Right around eighth grade. So, in seventh grade, hormones are raging, rejection of flowing, you let your mom cut. At what point? Now, what was the transition from your your scotch tape cut with the bowl, and then going to a pay? My mom decided. So it, was, it wasn't you rebelling against it. No, you would have let mommy cut your I hair didn't as even long like as she wanted. I like the barbers. Scissors were really cold and unnaturally cold. It was weird. Oh my god! This this is almost <laughs> like a Howard Hughes kind of thing going on here. I mean, they were cutting your hair, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking about, I don't even want to say, oof, oof. I'm thinking of that first scene in The Aviator. He's getting, he's getting bathed in milk by his mom and saying how dirty the world is. Oof. In fact, I might end the pot right here. <laughs> so did, did you realize that other people, did you, did you wonder if other people were getting their hair cut from their mom? Never even comprehended it or thought about it. You just thought, did you know there was another way? Well, yeah, I saw barber shops. But you might have thought those were for or adults. for adults, yeah. I, th I figured, yeah, probably all kids have their parents cut. And did, cut you, did you look at, now, you know one of the signs of adulthood? Like, remember the second season, first episode of The Sopranos? It's a famous montage to start in which they play a very good year, Sinatra. When I was 35, yeah. So... But one of the montage scene or clips was AJ, right? Anthony Jr. had his hair, which was like a child's hair in season one. And he had it like a little bit of uh, dippy-doo, as we used to call it in there, a little product. And he was growing up. He was taking control of his hair. Mm. That's like a way to grow up or a sign of growing up. When you were in seventh grade, did your mom tell you how to part it? Did she tell you what product to put in it? How'd that go? I still no to answer your question. And I still remember when my hair was still wet, I would take a towel and put it over my hair to try to keep the part right. Okay. Instead of hair gel. Because, you, you know, why didn't you want hair gel? 
Was it unaware like, it existed? Oh, okay, so you now this is interesting. So you were cognizant enough that you wanted your hair to look a certain way, but you figure I shouldn't have any say in how it's cut. Yes. Don't you see where how it's cut and how it looks is correlated? Yes. But there was something, but you equated the part being off as bad. So did you part it like on the side, like Alex P? Was it like kind of like the like it is now? But it, but yours now is not off to the side. It's yeah. rather it's it's back and it's yeah, like the it more, it's like the iron it's like the uh, Shaw of Iran kind. Yeah, of. it's more like like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. it looks like Skippy. Remember on Family Ties? Remember the friend that had the crush on Mallory? Yeah, yeah. Remember Skippy? Mm -hmm. He was friends Vaguely. with Alex. Vaguely. You don't remember Skippy? Yeah. Look at Skippy. Oh my god! It's just like it when you do that with your hair. Oh my god! Fezzik looks like Skippy. The one. <laughs> the, listen, the second row, fourth one from the left, or the the next one from the edge, not the edge. That looks like Fezzik. Did you have a love child we didn't know about in the seventies, eighties? That does look like. Him. He was a virgin until <laughs> ninety one. Now, that's that's Fezzik is Skippy. The one where he looks fat. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Holy effing cow. But the fourth one from the last, yeah. Just let's see what the skirt, the search is. Skippy family ties. Please join us in a multimedia experience. <laughs> Holy cow. Now that Justin Bateman was a natural beauty. Yeah, see, there's Skippy from the show. Oh my God. He's got that pointy looking chin like you. Glasses. Oh, double neck. Geez, no, listen, dude, you're, 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 you're almost 60 neck. years old. You're fine. Oh, my gosh. All right. Why Justine Bateman just draws my eye? She was, yeah, there was this movie called Satisfaction. It was so bad. But she was like in a rock and roll band. But actually, here's the funny part of that. Mike, now that I think about it. Was, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, who was in that? Was Michael J. Fox in it with her? Because he was in one where he was in a rock band. And they actually played a an unreleased Springsteen song, which was called Light of Day. And Light of Day was one that ended up being on Springsteen Unplugged. And he ended up playing it live a bunch. And, but... It was Michael J. So who's in this movie? Liam Neeson, Julia Roberts. All right, so the Taken dude. <laughs> okay. Set of, special set of skills. Julia Roberts. And then I don't know the rest. Britta Phillips, Scott Coffey, Nikki. All right, so Phillips would have been one of, uh, I think, Beju Phillips' sister, I'm guessing. Um, and that was like the mama and the papas. They were the kids from, that. I think John Phillips might have been his name, but the old man and the mama and the papas. But, all right, so Justine Bateman. Now, look up Michael J. Fox and see what rock and roll movie he was in. I'll tell you this. You want a good movie that's like, Light of Day? Yes, see? So that was the song. And now, if you don't mind, pull up the lyrics. Say Springsteen, Light of Day lyrics. These are some great lyrics. And, and I tell you if, you, if you're a casual Bruce fan, but you're not hardcore... There's probably some light of day on YouTube making the rounds. Yeah. Can you enlarge that a little bit? Yep. So check these out. This is pretty good. It says, well, I've been out of the woods for six days and nights now. 
Well, I'm a little hot wired, but I'm feeling all right. I got some money in my pocket and a long, lean ride. I got to make it down to Galveston by Saturday night. <laughs> I love that line. Well, I'm a little down under, but I'm feeling okay. Got a little lost along the way. I'm just around the corner from the light of day. Mm-hmm. He goes, I've been driving 500 miles, got 500 to go. I got rock and roll music on the radio. I got a brother on a rig just off the Gulf Coast. He says the girls down there, well, they're really the most. Little down under, but I'm feeling okay. Got a little lost along the way. Just around the corners of the light of day. All right, last verse, please. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I got thrown out of work on the Kokomo. Don't ask me what I'm doing. I don't know. I hope he wasn't joking when he wrote me that letter. Things can't get any worse. They got to get better. Hmm. The chorus is good. And I love that. I got to be to Galveston by Saturday night. When uh, my good buddy George and I used to go on road trips, and he was a huge Bruce fan, uh, we would play Light of Day a good bit. You know, when you're on that eighth hour of driving, you need a little something, Mackenzie. Oh, yeah. Do you ever do a road trip? Yeah, drove out from Chicago to Vegas the first time. But that's not a road. Was that, was that for a visit or to live here? The first time was to visit. The second time was... So you drove yeah. once to visit. Or you flew to visit and yeah, drove yeah, to yeah. live. That's not a road trip. That's moving. <laughs> I stopped along the way, got some gas station Fritos and such. <laughs> but the thing about a road that trip... That I believe. <laughs> yeah, Fez knows. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't just eat free Fritos. <laughs> I mean, he likes them. All right. Anyway, that whole movie, Light of Day, you're just waiting for the end when he sings Light of Day, and then you're disappointed. (laughs) But there's an unplugged version that's mighty good. Because at the beginning, Bruce names a bunch of cities. He's really good at that. We go, you know, we've been on the road. We've been to Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, blah, blah. And he'll name like 15 straight cities, and it's like a poem. The way he, he does that. Yeah. All right, we're wrapping up. What else we got, Fez, before your best bet? Phoenix. NBA. Yeah, okay. Now, we don't listen. I think everyone realizes the streak I've been on is going to go down in history. I think it's fair to say. It's just, it's like every, it's, now, again, we're starting to wonder, is it, is it self-fulfilling? Is it because I, because I release it, the line just moves. Maybe, because, I mean, we're reaching that scale to some degree, but not like this. 12 to 1 to being favored? So what's the current number? Phoenix is actually plus 180 now. The Clippers are favored. Is that after, is that after the Clippers Wait, lost? So you're though? saying the Clippers are one and a half. I'm confused. It's currently, now when did you get an update? Because last night the Clippers lost and it's one and a half games. Yeah, Mark and I were looking at it today. A few different books. Well, I tell you, I kind of like I like more on Phoenix. At yeah, that you point. know what's odd about this? What have we seen from Phoenix that makes us think that, they're, that they've Not, dropped off at all? Nothing. It's, it's just the fact the Clippers won six in a row. Okay, and then they lost as a Orlando. Was, yeah. 11 point favorite. Yep. They were 11 point favorite and they lose. This is the, the way the Clippers play. And I think maybe the markets is looking at this and saying it's only a one and a half game lead for Phoenix. Yeah. But it's a three game lead in the loss column. That's huge. These teams win more than two thirds of the time. So what you're saying is because it's in the loss column, that who has less games? Phoenix has more games left. All right, so that you're saying it's an advantage to the Clippers that it's in the locker? No, it's an advantage to Phoenix. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
Wow. So they got the Clippers at minus 300. Phoenix, I tell you this, if you got your fill, you got your fill. It's not irrational what they're doing here, meaning they're doing it for a reason. I don't see it, right? Because, I mean, we were up. This is what I'm confused by. When the Clippers play as good, were the, what was the most Phoenix was ever up by? I mean, they were only up one and a half games at the most, right? But the irony is now they got the Lakers at 16 to 1. So we had two teams that we thought could catch us. Now the Lakers. And we were minus 180. Very Minus unlikely. 140 or whatever. Right. Now the Lakers are 16 to 1. Mm -hmm. So the market's saying they're out. And the Clippers haven't picked up anything on us. I mean, what was the biggest that we were ever up on the Clippers? You remember, McKenzie? I think it was a game and a half. So we, we have the. And our, our understanding is the biggest lead we've had. There's less games. If you have an underdog to start the season that has to hold on, if you go a six or seven game or an eight game sample or, or, or stretch and you can maintain your lead, just in general, that you want to lessen the volume. The only explanation is that. Why are you interrupting me right in the middle? Go ahead, Steve. No, no go ahead. Well, the only explanation would be the strength of schedule, that Phoenix had an easy strength of schedule and the Clippers had a hard one. But they didn't know that before? But if those teams had the same record over those six games, then relatively speaking, it would... It would okay, but over the, the six games, if you have the same record and one has a slightly more strength of schedule, it might move at 20 or 30 cents. Right. It's not moving it to minus 300. Right? Right. And now Paul George has out, been out two straight games. Who knows what's going on with him? He was, yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is it feels like Phoenix doesn't have any quite. I mean, is there a big injury on Phoenix we don't know about? No, Booker and Paul are doing great. So let's go back to, before you interrupted me, Steve, is it strikes me that if you have the underdog, the theory is right now the Clippers are better than Phoenix, Right. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's the premise. That's the premise. Because if the Clippers weren't better, why are they behind a game and a half and it's minus 300? All right. So if they went like the last seven or eight games and Phoenix, maybe there was a minute the Phoenix was up two, two and a half. We don't know. We don't remember, but okay. But if the most they've been except for one little aberration, and I'm saying that might not even be the case, is up a game and a half. If you get through another eight games and maintain your lead and you're the lesser team, that should be an advantage. There's less games for the, uh, the superior, quote-unquote, team to exert itself, its superiority. Now, your point, Fez, is, hey, this was supposed to be an easy stretch for the um, Phoenix, maybe. Let's look at the last six or eight games. Can you read them for each team? Take a minute and get that. Sure, which one do you want? Uh, you whatever with? one you want to start with. All right, just, all right, the Phoenix Suns. They just beat the Hawks. This is in the reverse chronological. They beat the Hawks. They beat the Hornets. They beat the Raptors. Lost All right, to the so Magic. Raptors easy. Hornets borderline playoff team. Hawks borderline playoff team that's playing much better recently. Go ahead. Next three, they lost to the Magic. Uh-huh. Which is a tough loss, but go ahead. They beat the Heat. They beat the Lakers. Oh, my gosh. Go ahead. They beat the Timberwolves. Uh, easy one. They lost to the Timberwolves. All right, should have been easy. And then they beat the Grizzlies. Okay, so that is not, that's at least an average schedule, yeah. if not a little better than an average schedule. And if anything, they won against the harder teams, which I'd rather, because you know if they're focused, they're going to beat the easier teams. They just didn't mm -hmm. in these cases. All right, now give me the same for the Clippers. 
Clippers last game just lost to the Magic. Mm -hmm. Before that, they beat the Bucks. All right, that's a nice win. Beat the Sixers. That's a nice win. But again, without Embiid. Beat the San Antonio Spurs twice. All right, that's nice. Beat the Hawks. Beat the Hornets. Lost to the Mavericks. And beat and beat the Mavericks. Okay, so I think a little tougher stretch. Yeah. But twenty cents, thirty. It's half a game. Any, not even that. Yeah. If anything. The fact we've just eliminated eight games for them to catch up is more than more. offsets. Yeah, I agree. I think what they saw was they saw the Clippers winning some of those tough games and said, "Oh, the Clippers are back." But this is the Clippers' style. When they decide they're going to play, they're good. They just don't. It doesn't seem like they care. I think maybe if they reacted to playoff Rondo trade, that maybe that uh, was irrational. That, that that might be it. And if so, great because <laughs> it's no. We're not betting him in the playoffs. Right. Right? Because I wouldn't want Phoenix over the Clippers in the playoffs. I want them to win the division. But either way, when you like get 12 to 1 and you're plus 180, you've done pretty well. To me, the Harden, the Harden one has been the real eye-opener. Mackenzie, give us a little TikTok on that. So Harden opened the season as the sixth favorite at 12 to 1. I wasn't involved at this point. And then obviously he played eight games for the Rockets, not his best hour. He was 30 to well, 1. Well, let's be clear. That was eight games and the way he forced himself out of town is why a lot of people up until recently have been very skeptical of his ability to win the MVP. Continue. Yeah, he was 30 to 1 when they traded him on January 14th. February 14th, KD goes out. At that point, his odds are 46 to 1 on February 14th. A couple weeks later, RJ gives out a best bet on March 2nd, 33 to 1. Okay, now remember now, I gave a best bet, but I said it was for a percent. I can't remember half a unit or whatever. So, yeah, you know, I'm just saying. Let's be clear. We didn't have. We're not going to win 33 units. And let me finish the point of what my rationale was at this point. Now, a lot of people would be taking bows right now because. Well, I'll wait for the bows. But let me explain my rationale at the time. I felt like that Embiid. And it, I think there's a lot to say about this handicap, to be honest. I, I won't make it wordy, but what I mean is there's a lot to think about. Number one is it required a few things to happen. But whenever you got jumbo long shots, that's what you're looking for is, is there a clear path? Because then you can start to price it. And my thought was Embiid has to get hurt probably, okay? And statistically, the odds were pretty good. I don't know, one in three? And B was going to get hurt. And then number two had to be LeBron was going to give up the ghost, which doesn't mean he had to get hurt. It could have been he was going to stop playing back-to-backs. He, he was just going to kind of admit, I can't, I can't really carry the load without AD. And that would have changed the narrative. Because remember, him and Embiid were neck and neck. It wasn't like he was some big favorite over right. Embiid. McKenzie at the top of the market, he, he waited for the very pinnacle and said, now I want to buy high. I mean, it really probably was the pinnacle day you bought it. It was like pets.com March 2000. I mean, it was like you just waited. Like I gave out a bead, a five and a half to one, if I remember. Yep. And you said, I don't like it. But, but a two to one. Was that what it was? It was two to one at the time. Oh, yeah. my God. And it, what did I say? I said, man, that seems kind of pricey or not getting a good price considering he could be injured at any moment. Considering he's never played more than 70 games ever. <laughs> and then he gets hurt the next game. <laughs> so anyway, 
to me, I didn't need LeBron to get hurt. All right. Now, what's happened that's complicated things a little bit is Giannis, the Greek freak as he's known. Guy nice antitoko umpo. He is playing a hell. I mean, if he wasn't the MVP last year, he'd be right in the conversation. What's the current Giannis odds? 10 to 1. Okay. And here's what we know. And this is what the battle is. There's a chance. I don't even know if LeBron can come back now. I mean, he's going to miss so many games. I think he's maybe. What's LeBron's? Also 10 to 1. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a sign they think he's out of it. So now, obviously, the, uh, Jokic is the question. Now, let's be honest. Most writers are American, right? And meaning, I'm not saying citizens. Because obviously, if you're an American citizen, you're an American. But I'm saying that they, uh, there's just, a, I mean, anyone that wants to say there's not, at least in the collective, a clannishness. I mean, there's a reason in the Olympics we're rooting against Russia. It's not that we are racist against Russia, right? We're competitive. And in general, there's European basketball and there's American basketball. And Harden, if anything, is a quintessential American player. Whereas he, he has great skills and he goes to the strip club at night. <laughs> That's pretty American. He likes to have some beer. He's not eating avocado ice cream. He's having some beers after the game with the ladies, perhaps. Perhaps, allegedly. So to me, what do you, what is, there's going to be a battle here amongst three things, I think. One is Harden. And I was listening to the, the uh, Zach Lowe podcast. And what's her name? Mina Kimes? Yeah, that's right. All right. She was talking about she's become a big Nets fan. Just, you know, watching the ticket or whatever, and she likes it. And she admits I'm not a big NBA person, though she seems to know a lot about the NBA. And she was saying that this Harden run shines a different light upon his entire career in a very positive sense. That it now tells us that when he wasn't passing a bunch, it was by design. Mm. Because remember, he led the league in assists early on, and then later it was that one-man game with, you know, the spot-up shooters. And even with a Chris Paul, it felt like, boy, this might be efficient to some degree, but, right? And... Let's be candid, even though you could make the case that them almost beating Golden State twice was some of the most impressive things we've ever seen. Like You could make the case that best Houston team was maybe the fifth best team of the decade because of how good Golden State was. And I'm not so sure they wouldn't have won. Like, would that Houston team have beaten you know, the Heat team that beat the Spurs that year? Oh, I think so. I don't know. Maybe. Is what, they certainly yeah. could have. I think, I mean, I think the point is, and, and I think you're right, Steve, is the very fact that they could have means that this is a, was a championship-level team that ran into an all-time great team and almost beat them twice. So people want to dismiss Houston. I'm not sure that's fair. But there is a stink on them because of that. For him to come in a different context and play a completely different game, and be as good as anyone we've ever seen at scoring when he needs to score, facilitating when that's best, and rebounding. What is he like? What is he like? Twenty six, 
12 and 9? Almost exactly right. Yeah, 26, 11, and 9. He's almost averaging a triple-double. Yes. <laughs> and triple-doubles make, like, the lead on SportsCenter, typically. Oh, yeah. and, uh, hard, I mean, Westbrook has put a stink on all that. But mm. remember, Oscar Robinson was deified because of his season-long triple-double. And unless I'm mistaken, no one's ever done it except Westbrook since, right? That's right. So, and Westbrook was obviously very focused on it in a way that kind of cons- went again. It kind of, uh, what's the right word for it? It kind of not corrupted it, but maybe it is corrupted. It kind of, it kind of made it feel less. What were you going to say, Mackenzie? It soured the NBA fan on the attractiveness of the triple double. Yeah, but but I I, I think it it attacked itself at the root of it. It's like. This is a pure, this is a stats driven. It's nothing about winning. And if you're going to be stats hungry, it's going to, it's going to not infect it. I'm just, I always try to find the right word. So I apologize. It, it, I think contaminated it. Mm. It contaminated it. That's it. Not, not corrupt, contaminate. It's like, it's seeping in this, this unruly, this, this like unseemly element. The unseemly element is the stats glorification that I'm going to miss a shot to get a rebound kind of crap. But I don't see Harden doing any of that. And he's almost at a triple-double at the best team in the league. So the question is going to be, one, what is worse, the way Harden got out of Houston? And now couldn't we make the case that Houston losing 20 in a row without him doesn't that make a statement about how good Harden was? It does. So now he leaves there. He, he, he goes to a team. The team he went to or was on was a, a second-tier title contender last year. A team you were like, oh, my God, Houston, you know, they might beat the Lakers. Or you, weren't, you didn't love Houston against the Lakers, but a lot of people did. You like Portland against the Lakers mm-hmm. to win. But... <laughs> Well, Zach Collins got hurt. I Same mean. time. <laughs> but, oh my God, the worst D in the NBA. <laughs> but but the reality is that he went from a team that was competitive, they became the worst team, and now he's on the best team. He's almost got a triple-double. When he needs to score, he scores. When he needs to pass, he passes. He seamlessly moves in to this team. Seamlessly. I'm going to have, we were talking about Jay Smoothie. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yes. Close. <laughs> or, is, or is it smooth? You can call him smooth. All right. So here's something I'm going to have Mackenzie, Fezzik, and Smoothie do, which is take the second best player off of every team. Right? So you can decide who that is. And I, we're calling Kevin Durant the second best player, which is actually hurting Harden. Because I think the case could be made that Durant was considered the best player. So Lakers, you can pick. Anthony Davis or LeBron, take off who you want, right? Whatever. Denver, probably taking off what? um, The Joker, Nikola Jokic. Ah, no, he's the best player. I'm thinking of Jamal. Mitchell. 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 Jamal Jamal Murray. Murray, yeah. yeah. And not Mitchell. I know you're you're working on the NFC East, though, Fez. Relax. I definitely got the rose bushes. Yeah. (laughs) So... Now, imagine that. You take it off of everybody, you know, Brown, let's say, for the Celtics, and then power rate them. 
meaning the whole league gets power rated, missing their second best player, and Durant is missing from the Nets. My point is going to be the Nets probably are two and a half, three points better than any team in the NBA. That even without Durant, where are the Nets? The third favorite? Second favorite? Let's say Durant's out for the year. Where's the Nets? I'd have the fifth best team. So who's above them? Utah. Okay. Milwaukee. Milwaukee? So I'm confused. If, if They have hardly had Durant this year. Mm-hmm. So since they've had Harden, they've had Durant for what, one game? How many games did Harden and Durant play? The big three have played six games together. Okay. And they went five and one, right? Yes, that's right. Lost the first one, won the next five. So the question is, they've played pretty much the whole season with only two of the three. Why? And and they have the, what? They're half a game behind in the East or they're half a game up? One second. They're actually up by decimal points over the so, season. So, so they're in the lead, hardly having the big three, but they're going to draw in the East, but they're going to draw to fifth because a guy that's not going to be there, but he hasn't really been there the whole season. I'm, but without him, they are the best team in the East. I don't understand that. I think it's because I've got regular season ratings. And so I've got Phoenix in the club. Well, we're talking about how good they are. Yeah. Right, I mean, if you want to make it regular season, you want to make it. Let's make it postseason then. Mm. So I'm not sure how that. I mean, it seems like it helps the Lakers and the Clippers, and it hurts Phoenix and Utah. It hurts Phoenix. So and it hurts Utah. Yeah, it does. So how does that affect where they are? I, see, it's like you go to the default. So oh, it's like no way can they be any good if they. Mm. But it's like, isn't that what we've been seeing? I I don't know. I, I what do you think, Mackenzie? I think I'd have him third. I think I'd have him behind the uh, the Clippers. And actually, I'd have him second. I'd have him only behind the Clippers. If we took off the best, second best player from no. every team. No, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm saying where would they be if only the Nets oh, lost? Yeah. Because that other question, you think the Clippers without Paul George are better than the Nets without Durant? I don't, no. Then what are you saying? I, I mean, I, I thought that 30 seconds ago, but thinking about it again, the Nets have been too strong. Like you said, what we've seen, what we've actually seen with our they're, eyes. They're better than, they're better than the Clippers right with now. Paul George. Right the Clippers are. aren't even going to win their division. Well, who knows? I mean, what I'm <laughs> saying is I don't understand. I mean, the point I'm making is, one, we've got a team that would be competitive for the title losing their second best player. Yes. When have we ever seen that before? I mean, the Bulls can't win, couldn't have won without Pippen. They just couldn't have. They could have went to the finals maybe if they got like, but odds are they don't win. So we got to something like, we, I mean, let's be candid. Dwayne Wade uh, off that Miami team, they weren't winning any titles. No, they needed him. So when has this ever been the case? Golden State. Well, but that's the thing. You take away Steph Curry, are they winning? No, and we saw what I mean, happened. I think Golden Durant. State would have been competitive. Yeah, they almost won the finals. They lost to the Raptors without Durant. Though Durant's the first best guy on that team, so you know it's interesting. And then who knows if they, I think the I think the very fact that we're debating who would be better, the the, the best Warriors team without Curry or this Nets team without Durant. Mm. Tells you how, but but the Nets team, we got it four to one, another one of my bets yes, here. Yes, you did. But even now, it's like the idea that the Lakers are better than them, both at full strength. What, what world are we in that that's the case? So 
the way we represent that is by saying, hey, the Nets, if they lost Durant for the season, how good would they be? I'm going to be interested in that. But then I want to say take the number two off of everyone, and who's even close? I don't think anyone's going to be close. I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine the Sixers without Simmons. Right? The uh, you know, I mean, let's go up and down the list. Is it Holiday from Milwaukee? Because I know when he missed a few games, it was like, oh my God, they're one and five, but Holiday's not there. It's probably still Chris Middleton. Ah, uh, really? It's it's two A two B. You're right. I'll tell you, let, let's just say this. I want Holiday off. I'll decide who's number two. I know Chris Middleton. He doesn't shoot too well when the pressure's on, as far yeah, as I can see. especially the trend line for Holiday, you know. I mean, they gave up like four number ones for him. I mean, whatever, three. So I think, but I'm going to be interested in you guys doing that in a vacuum mm. and then seeing what where the numbers line up because it'll be interesting because we're gauging smoothly to see how... Um, how acute his knowledge, his acumen, because it seems quite strong in the NBA. If his name is Smooth or Smoothie, <laughs> or or Justin. <laughs> so, what do you think, Mackenzie? I mean, about all this. Any thoughts? I'm I'm wondering if you know how some teams like the Jazz will say, "Oh, they have regular season motivation because they've never been that elite," or just because they're kind of a, a lunch pail team. Yeah, I'm wondering if the Nets would be this good with Kevin Durant, just with all the firepower they had. Yeah, they would. Because you know why? They all have an agenda. Harden wants to win his first one, right? Which he wants to win that badly. Yeah. Durant wants to win one without the Warriors. And Kyrie wants to win one without LeBron. Now, if they win it, I would look to fade them the next year, in the regular season especially. Because I think you're going to see all the worst instincts coming out. But they are like the, you know, someone's daughter is kidnapped and all the people are getting together for the mission kind of focused right now is as far as I can see. It does seem like 180 degrees. If they win it, all of their legacies are verified. But if they don't win it, I mean, Kevin Durant's already considered Carl Malone, which is a pretty big insult in NBA communities. I, they got to win it. Well, listen, they gotta he win was it. the best player on multiple championship teams. Yes. But, uh, that's I agree not with Carl you. Malone. But what I'm, I mean, I hear you, but what I'm saying is they all got something to prove. He would have never left Golden State if he didn't want to prove something. Right. Right. Because they wanted him to stay. So the point I'm making is this year, I don't think it's about Harden's air. And if, I think it's about they're all just on, it's a short sprint. It's only six, you know, four months or whatever. And they're going to play their, anyone can lose weight for four months. Right. And that's tough. That's every minute you're choosing not to eat a cookie. <laughs> Right? And, but it's hard to lose weight over five years. All right. Anyway, Harden, I think the debate's going to be, we were talking about America, whatever. The debate's going to be Jokic. Again, if he finished, if Jokic finishes the year this strong, he probably gets it, probably. But I think that that's the only one. Because I think the Greek freak, if, if it's between three straight MVPs, which would put him in rarefied air that doesn't include Michael Jordan, doesn't include LeBron, right? It's Will Chamberlain, Bill, Bill Russell, Russell, and Larry Bird. Fez, Fez, Fez. When I'm talking, you don't need to fill in. My bad. Did I, you hear me talking? I thought you were pausing for me to jump in. I didn't even pause. <laughs> I said, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, 
Larry Bird. And right in the middle, he's going, Larry Bird, Larry Bird. It's like, you got the sheet in front of you. I got it. <laughs> Tomorrow is another day. <laughs> Jesus, God. So, anyway, that's rarefied air. They don't want, before Giannis wins a title, they don't want to sanctify him like that. I think, so if the battle is you're mad at Harden over Houston in your vote, or if you want to make Giannis an all-time great before he wins a title, I think Harden wins. The whole tiebreaker with the Joker, I think is if the Joker drops off a little bit and Harden keeps going, maybe it comes tiebreaker time. I don't think the whole he's one of ours will really... um, be more than a tiebreaker. But I, and I think right now it's not a tiebreaker, meaning I think Jokic wins if it was today. But boy, when you bet it at 33 to one and within less than a month, what's the current number? Plus 250 consensus. Jeez. Now you can still get five to one at some square shops. Exactly, square. But he, think of that about, you ever have a bet fest that goes from 33 to one to, to, to five to one in less than a month? Never. I, I, and it was an afterthought, meaning it's like my fourth best yeah. bet this month. <laughs> you know, back to, you know, the Joker. Yeah, let's change subject real quick. Go ahead. No, it's the same. No, We're on the same thing. Is it glorifying my bet? Yes. I'll continue. Well, I think you, 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 when you spoke with Jonas, Jonas knows everybody's name. I'm not sure jo- this is the first oh, time. Jonas, Jonas doesn't even know his first name. How is he going to win MVP? But see, that's interesting because you could make that Jonas, who is the co or the, uh, I guess the, uh, I won't say co-host, but, you know, he sets us up really well, does a great job. And, and again, he's, he improves the show massively because though I'm adequate at some of those mechanics, he is world-class. But um, we love the new as a society. So to some degree, the new is cool. I mean, that's why, like, Lamar Jackson wins the MVP unanimously. But, you know, the next year, you know, you can have an equally good year. Like Mahomes this year, you know? I mean, people like the new. I don't know if they like the new if it feels like that, you know, again, if it's a foreigner invading. Now, I'm not saying everyone, and most NBA writers aren't thinking like that. But, and maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's more about who's selling jerseys. Who There is something about your ability to merchandise, your ability to have kids, like, emulating you. I mean, the Be Like Mike thing is no coincidence, right? And, and Jokic just doesn't have that right now. I, his style of basketball is better than mine. I, listen, I can be as open-minded as anyone, but I'm an idiot if I'm not looking at the world and saying everyone isn't that way. And I would even say, it's interesting. For me, I almost side with the European style because that's my game. I was always said, I was like Boris Diaw, but a little under six foot. And not quite as fast. But Diaz's game and mine were very similar. I, you know, I can't relate to LeBron's game. He's a lot, you know, he's got skills I couldn't even dream. I, if I was dreaming I was in the NBA, I wouldn't have his skills. But, excuse me, with Diaz, I could imagine it. So I'm going to relate to Diaz. But most kids that love basketball are, are re- relating to Steph Curry and LeBron, not the European player. Anyway, a mighty good bet. And we were talking Clippers. Paul George out Thursday. 
already versus Denver Tabin on Wednesday here at pregame.com offices. His third straight game out. What's his ailment? Head case? <laughs> Foot injury. Um, oh, lower extremity. Mm. I like, I tell you, I like the plus 180. Any closing thoughts in the NBA, Fez? Think we covered it. We got anything else before your best bet? I think we're good. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Mackenzie, I'm looking at these notes. He's got he's selling Orlando. What's Orlando's record since the trade deadline? Because obviously they had that Clippers win. It seems like they're fighting hard. Go ahead. So best bet, Fordham, plus four and a half versus Colgate. Fordham, undervalued. And I'm going to the well because this has been working for me again and again. It sure seems like the odds makers are setting these lines based just upon final scores in FCS. And yes, Fordham, they played one game all year. They lost by 10 to Holy Cross. But they actually dominated the stats in that game. They won the yards by 150 yards. Why did they lose? Only minus one in turnovers, but the dreaded block punt touchdown. So because of that, Fordham played Colgate, should have won that game. Now we're getting points because of that bad performance. Let's say this. Not, not one turnover and one block punt, when you lose by 10, isn't you should have won. It's the score was deceiving. That's well said. So the score was de deceiving against Holy Cross. And now let's look at the Fordham's opponent this week, Colgate. Colgate's only played one game all year long. Since that, what happened? The dreaded COVID shutdown where they had back-to-back -back games canceled the last two weeks, had a player test positive, disrupts practice, disrupts everything. And now this is the first game back for Colgate. So down arrow Colgate, up arrow Fordham. I'm on Fordham plus four and a half. Okay, so the game is where? Fordham plus four and a half at Colgate. Okay, so this is saying home field is in the FCS is what, about point and a half? Yeah. Because of the lack of fans? So this is saying the Colgate's significantly better. Yes. Okay, so the power ratings wouldn't tell us a ton because there's just the one game. Mm -hmm. What is our gauge? Meaning you're saying, I think Colgate is overrated or i think there's a hindrance to colgate that maybe isn't being accounted for and you think that the score was deceiving in the fordham game but if this line were four to minus three you would still just uh, you're assuming the market's gonna have a fair line and thus there's these two factors that aren't being fully accounted for what is the gauge of what the line should be? The gauge is I checked with my FCS guy. The mysterious FCS guy. Yes, and he actually had Fordham the better. Is it ever a lady? Are no, these mysterious never. People? Never. You don't like women. I love women. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. They had coming in the season Fordham three points better than Colgate to start the season. Now that is in. Now that's a fact. Okay, so how much did they reevaluate Fordham after the first game? You said they should have won, so they would have upgraded them, right? No, they severely downgraded them, but obviously. But you said they should have won. No, what's obviously? You said they should have won. They won the stats. Well, I, I like the way you said it. That give was very a very competitive game. Well, why would they downgrade won. them greatly? Let's say that it was a coin flip game after 10 points with a turnover, you know, margin of plus. Because I don't think they're looking at this turnover and this so you're saying So you're saying even the guys whose numbers you're trusting are missing this, then how do we trust his numbers? 
No, the book. I'm talking, I'm talking about, the about you, the guy. What did oh. they do? What did your guy do to Fordham? You said nothing to Fordham. Try to follow me. Mm-hmm. You said that Fordham versus Colgate. The line right now should be what? How did you well, Ford, Fordham minus three? If they would have played the first game of the, the first year. game. Yeah. Okay. So now they're getting four and a half. Yes. Okay. The question is, how much did, he, did your guy change Fordham after the first game? Not at all. Okay, so they're saying, so though you said they should have won, he's saying it was an even game, Fordham played the way I expected. Yes. And how much did they change Colgate? Or I guess what adjustment did they make from Colgate after their first game? And then the next question is, what kind of downgrade? Now, you're doing the downgrade. Do you have any idea how much Colgate was upgraded after the first game? I do not. Okay, so at most it would have been a point. Yeah. And now you're saying at minimum, the COVID's worth a point. At a minimum. All right, so let's say that evens out for Colgate. No down. So if anything, it seems like we're still saying then the Fordham is about the same team, the distance between Colgate they were to start the season. That's right. Which was how many points? Three. And here they're saying they're worse by like three points. Yes. One and a half to four and a half. So you're saying there's six points of value. Yes. This line should be four to minus one and a half. It should be. Why didn't you say any of that? Like that makes it compelling, doesn't it? Yes. Because you're saying here's, here. I mean, let's think about this a second because this to me is where sometimes it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. It does here. Is Fordham was how many points better starting the season? Three. Fordham played a game. Your guys said no adjustment. So still three points better. Colgate played a game. We don't know the exact adjustment, but a point is being generous. Now we're saying there's a COVID negative for Colgate. And it, it, we think we're being generous again to Colgate, Colgate by saying only a point. So let's say they haven't changed at all. Yes. Thus, they're still three points better than because you got Fordham with no change and Colgate net, net, no change, point upgrade because of the game they won, point downgrade because of COVID. Yes. And thus, you look at the current line, and with one and a half for home, it says that they're three points better, Colgate is, from one and a half to four and a half, right? Yes. And you're saying that Colgate's three points worse. So we're getting six points of value. Yes. That's a pick. I'm not fading you on that one. Make it official. It's official. We're going to take Fordham plus four and a half versus Colgate. Lucky you didn't fade the magic. Three and oh since the deadline. But another, ex- against the spread, another example where you said, huh, they missing some players. Everybody's dumb. They must not realize it. Fade the magic. Does that sound right? Exactly right. Do you think maybe you're going to stop that? Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't ever have these opinions unless you can actually quantify. That will be the new rule for Fez. Just think how much money we're going to save you. <laughs> 